everybody, and welcome to episode 324 of Veggie Game Apocalypse. I, as always, am your host, Michael Rapares. Who else is joining me here in the mystical, magical West Skirvin Memorial Studio of the Airwaves? 250-pound switch light, Christopher Antista. And Matthew Shabadoo Allen. Shabadoo. And special guest. Leif, I don't have a nickname, Johnson. From <laughs> <laughs> I always forget to warn the guests about the nicknames, because I never do it. Shabadoo, electric boogaloo, breaking to uh, electric boogaloo. Right, yes, 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 yes. So... I, I don't know, if you haven't guessed the theme by now, if you haven't looked at the episode title or the show art, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a little snippet that I think will instantly bring you to the, the era we're about to talk about. Oh boy. Woo! That does it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, why, why Flock of Seagulls' I Ran has become like audio shorthand for, we're in the 80s now. <laughs> because it was the promotional uh, music for the commercial for one of the games you're probably going to I, I think uh, that's where it started, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I've... They, they were, it was, they had a sad performance at the Spike Game Awards, the only celebrities to actually show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That and AHA's take on me. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those, so, are, those are the only 80s songs that existed. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, of course, we, we want to take a look this week at totally 80s games, totally. which is not to say games from the 80s. Yeah, that'd be too easy. But yeah. games that try to recreate or recapture the 80s. But we should say why, because... Yes. Because because the, Stranger Things... Stranger Things Season 3 just It's dropped. back, baby, like yeah. the McRib. It's back. It, well, and strangely, as you pointed out, <laughs> the 80s are strangely back. Yeah. Yes. With millennials who probably weren't alive most of yeah. the 80s. Yeah, well, we were talking about this. Found out recently, Stranger Things, apparently, the, the brothers who created it, the Duffer Brothers, I think? Duffer yes. Brothers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They were born in 1984, so they're 90s kids. Yes, yes. those are total 90s kids. Yeah, yes. yeah, but... But I feel like in recent years, we've seen like this strange totally. 80s nostalgia that's like even weirder than when Gen Xers were into the 70s yes. in the 90s. I always call it peak white people. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, was, there was no worries. You could eat as much sugar as you wanted, drive mm-hmm. as fast as you wanted, do as much Coke as you wanted. Yeah, cause, well, because you were six and you could, you, like, Coke was easily sure. accessible. Right. Well, only new Coke, though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's an absurd decade. And I, I understand the Duffer. I'm, I'm born in 80, but, like, I don't. I love Stranger Things, but I don't remember that time at mm. all that they're mm. depicting. I was born in '79, and I it, it's that's my childhood. I mean, yeah, I was '78, and I remember all of all, all yeah. of stuff. The problem with with all of those shows is they do tend to blend together yeah. most of the '80s. Mm-hmm. I will say Stranger Things though does a better job of not pulling in really late does. '80s and, and early '90s stuff and calling it '80s. Like yeah. they're they're pretty much squarely focused on early '80s as a block. Mm-hmm. Authenticity, and I I feel like I shouldn't, but I love this season god damn it and i finished it last night i love it i have not finished it yet so please don't spoil it but yeah i've heard heard a little bit of negative uh, buzz about this season like people aren't aren't loving it but uh so far the episodes i've seen seem fine well i want to do a laser time i think about it like stranger things is it good? <laughs> because because I, I don't feel like I hold the same standards I've hold, I've held other shows to, and it does a lot of things that normally bother me, but I think it's it's probably a little bit of the 80s nostalgia. I think a big mm. part of it is not... This is this is 80s nostalgia, but it's the kid cast. I do like the kid cast. Like yeah. Just oh, yeah. throwing children into this 
well, horrific, horrific scenario. Well, I like. I feel like there's, like I was saying, there's a lot of 80s nostalgia right now. Stranger Things mm-hmm. might be the only nostalgic 80s things. And it's like, yes, this feels like my childhood, mm-hmm. as opposed to most of it is like this weird sort of neo 80s. Like, yeah, like let's reboot all this. It's stuff. it's not that you're actually nostalgic for the 80s. You're nostalgic for the art and the pop culture that yeah. sort of defined the 80s. Right. And you're confusing it with what the decade was like, which we did not actually have, like, neon cars. Like, the world did not look like a Lisa Frank binder. No, no. no we were still very much in the Cold War. So, yeah. so you know, there was a constant threat of nuclear annihilation. Mm-hmm. And, and so, a lot in many ways, like, pop culture was this great distraction from yes. that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm always telling people, especially, like, because I have a couple of really good, like, Generation Z friends, and, you know, it's just, like, it's really hard for them to get that stuff that, you know, I even did at least one nuclear bomb drill. I mean, that, that actually was a thing. Oh, that's we're about there again, so they'll, yeah, they'll yeah, totally yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is, you know, and the fact that, you know, Russia was, cons- it was like, you know, you were scared that that, mm-hmm. that was going to be yeah, some if, kind of war. If, if you weren't scared, like you, you weren't old enough to be, to fully understand what was going on. Yes. I know. I miss that though. I, I feel like I would have preferred constantly feeling like Russia was going to kill me instead of mm. releasing my Pornhub search history. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both pretty bad. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that maybe that, that nuclear paranoia is like the 80s sucked so bad that I think that's what sparked Mm -hmm. America's obsession with entertainment like we were always obsessed with entertainment but like that's when it started getting really granular and nerdy Mm -hmm. and like that's that's a good way to put it yeah Yeah. that's when like kind of the rise of Star Wars sort of mashed together with Star Trek and spawned this weird obsessive fandom that Mm -hmm. uh, just grew out of control in the decades that followed yeah it's, it's where franchises started and were like Real heavy, I don't want to say marketing, but like cross promotion. Yeah. Mm. Like, if you like Scooby Doo in the 60s, maybe you'll get a shitty toy. It'll be worthless and you'll hate it and you'll never think about it again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Whereas, think, you know, like if you think of Star Wars as maybe one of the first big film franchises, technically mm-hmm. the first one was in the 70s, but really mm-hmm. that one, they didn't exploit the way they would go on to exploit, you know, um, episode five and six, right? So, yeah, it really Planet is. Planet of the Apes had to make five movies before they made merch. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I'm going to go... Nope, and, and no plan for future movies, either. I'm going to go in a different direction there. Okay, so mm-hmm. Star-Lord and Guardians of the Galaxy is... I mean, mm-hmm. Chris Pratt was born in the exact same day I was born on. So, uh, Damn. Yeah, we were exactly the same age. And uh, so, you know... But I, I think it's interesting, because he's always protected as showing... You know, listening to stuff from the 60s and 70s. That's the way I grew up, too. And I, and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more... There, there was a lot more like decade overlap back in the '80s than you see now. Whereas a lot of the music that people listen to now, it seems to be much more immediate. You know, this is now. Whereas we were still listening to stuff from the '60s and stuff. I mean, it, it and, that's, and that's that's the vague thing I remember because like we're we're doing thirty twenty ten where we look thirty twenty and ten years back in time. We're in eighty nine, and that feels like so '80s right up until the eighty nine Batman comes out. Yeah, and that like mm. close of the decade. When I see Stranger Things, it's like. It feels like this this little bit of the 70s that I barely remember. It is. It Shag is. carpets, it really lots is. of brown, yeah. horrifically short shorts. Yeah, well, I mean, that you, makes sense because mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a more poor area, I'm going to say, as opposed to like a hot and upcoming city. So that was what I was experiencing, you know, as a more rural person. Is, so you still had a little, little bit of that 70s left over. Yeah. 
My parents had like that that like seventies ultra lounge furniture and listened to ABBA all the time. So it's like those are my cherished <laughs> memories of the eighties. But but like honestly the the area that I grew up in, like cool kids that you always see in like new eighties nostalgic things like the the kids who look like Marty McFly with with like a makeover, mm-hmm. something like that. Like I, I never saw kids like that mm-hmm. I, except on TV. Like mm-hmm. the kids that that I hung out with all wore those fucking denim jackets with the fleece lining. <laughs> yes. Like that was like the yes. uniform for jocks at my school. Yeah, yes. I mean yeah. I grew up in SoCal, so I grew up with a lot of the like if Marty. a lot of the kids you see in like Valley Girl, you mm-hmm. know, like that movie. Like that's who was around me. Like the high school kids I would see walking to school. I'd be like. Oh, yeah, they really are just straight out of the movie, you know, feathered hair and everything. Mm-hmm. Now, perms were super common. Yo, of I mean, course. Things like that. Of yeah. Yeah. So. But, yeah, we are going to be talking about games that try their damnedest to evoke this decade and often do, sometimes in unexpected ways. Radical, man. Radical. <laughs> Dude, totally let's party. <laughs> <laughs> Using party as a verb. <laughs> We're all going to get late. That's the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the 70s I'm trying to think of the Jackie sure. Gleason quote from 2, Caddyshack 2. Your horse has quite a gas problem. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's 80s. <laughs> 80s is more like, we can't get laid because AIDS. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny now. I love it. <laughs> I'm not making an AIDS joke. I'm making an AIDS paranoia joke. Oh, my God. It was you made the first funny AIDS joke. Come on. Somebody give Michael a prize. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. But we are going to dive into 80s games right after this. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the LazerTime network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. I love that we've gone, if if you're a fan of Spider-Man on film, your heart has gone through all these different arcs. And I do feel like we've arrived finally at like, this feels really good. (laughs) Yeah. When, when are we giving the uh, spoiler warning? When when are we allowed to dive into spoilers? Hey, go ahead. I, I see right right now. Spoiler. Um, right yeah, now. this Far is from the spoiler spoilers. cast. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of other Spider-Man movies, how about that stinger at the end there? So that's that. we're jumping right to the end. Huh? Get bonus time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just five dollars on Patreon.com/slash LaserTime. And welcome back. It's time to talk about what? AIDS. Shut up. <laughs> hey. I think you mean AD's video games. <laughs> At least you'll remember to spell it now, kids. <laughs> the second funny AIDS joke right there from Michael. <laughs> uh, what, what do you have to say about these games? Theme song from Joysticks, the movie. to say i had to pay facebook two dollars to message the director of this movie to see if i could use this song in a video game trailer i was working on he never got back to me but if you've seen community and the mitch hurwitz character coogler 
They used this song on Community, and I was so pissed. <sighs> I, I wanted to option this song so bad. How dare he license it to NBC and not you? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But he wouldn't even answer my. He wouldn't even, I had to. I didn't even know you could do that. Set your Facebook up to like. Yeah. Uh, you got to know you're serious. Give me two dollars just to send me a message. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. I remember when they implemented that. Oh man, that's, that's a real thing. Yeah. Are you wow. sure you weren't on like Russian it's, Facebook? It's a real thing. It was. <laughs> what they were did the roll, great privacy part. rollout. That was one of the big things. Yeah. yeah Russia. A Facebook spy on you. Oh, no way. Same country. Well, now that we we're off on that Cold War paranoia, first note, let's begin with... Number five. I got the touch. I got the power. Yeah. What game could this be? Uh, is this a... Is this, uh, 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 Technically a three? It is. Well, it's it's no. part of a three. Okay. Is this yeah, uh, Far Cry Far 3 Blood Dragon? It is, and that is Michael Bean. 80s it boy, Michael Bean. <laughs> that game has like the most 80s intro. It's it's riffing on so much. There. Oh, it so does. Yeah. It, it is, but like I don't know if you're going to use what you were saying in the segment, how like everything everyone associates with a numeric part of the decade yeah. is always like residually left over from the last decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think the peak part of the 80s is, is whenever you see like the early early 90s depicted yeah, yeah. like oh, vanilla ice is 80s as shit but he's like it it didn't approach a decade with an eight in it that's true and that was the purest of the, the 80s mm-hmm. yeah yeah like like all that color me bad horse shit and hyper color that was <laughs> when i was and that, that was, was all in the early 90s uh yeah, but early but 90s like, was peak 80s like with mc hammer and everything else but uh but i, th- I think blood dragon operates on a bit of that too a little because bit its cutscenes are done in a pc style graphic that is purely 90s mm. early 90s yeah well it looks looks very super nintendo-y but uh i, I can it play a like snippet PC of shit it in the 90s let's show them how cyber commandos get it done fuck force style motherfucker but come on that music is 100 percent 80s that's so 80s just that drum sound is immediately evocative of the 80s. Like, yeah, it's the same sorry, did they, Didn't they use the music from Miami Connection in the credits? <laughs> yes, they did use that. God, that's wonderful. <laughs> and the title screen has like all those purple lasers and stuff like mm-hmm. they used to use for his school photos. Yep, yep. And, and, and the, the tracking lines from... Mm-hmm. But I, I want to make it clear, okay? okay? You would think from watching 80s throwback stuff that tracking lines and fuzzy like distortion appeared whenever... You popped in a VCR or, or a VHS <laughs> tape. That is not the case. That only happened if you'd left them out in the sun for a while and they got a little bit warped. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that only happened with uh, things I taped. Oh, okay. Like if I yeah. bought, if, if you were renting it or you bought it, mm-hmm. I never saw those tracking lines. Yeah, yeah. Or if you, um, whenever you paused the VHS, you would see them. Or if it was just mm-hmm. getting old, like really old tapes with a lot of use, would mm-hmm. eventually get. But that. if if you went down to the video store and rented a copy of Godfather Three, it would probably look pristine. Pristine, when you it. yeah. <laughs> well, tra- tracking lines are hack. But like, if you want to see what the '80s really look like, uh, watch an episode of Check It Out with Doctor Steve Brule. <laughs> I, I, I think like Tim yeah. and Eric like really run that through like a fucking VCR or something like that. Oh wow. Well, I, to give it that that perfect 140p, mm-hmm. I can't make out any detail on this. Kind of <laughs> well, I lived in Texas, and air conditioning was still catching up, <laughs> so oh, we, yeah, there was still some of that going on. I mean, you joke late, but what the things I, some of the things I consider synonymous with the 80s are like the disgusting feel of humidity. Yes, in mm. cars and and houses, just because like it 
it wasn't affordable to, to cool houses in Florida. And then I, I was in Houston, so yeah, it was the same thing. See, I'm more associated with like the disgusting cigarette smoke or residue that oh, was in every public mm-hmm. place. I've kind of forgotten about that. See, I associate it with living in a fucking desert town that resembled <laughs> something out of Fallout with fucking atoms over all over everything, every sign in town. Especially the ones from the 50s had a big old atom on it because we Wait, lived really? next to a yeah. nuclear reactor where the plutonium for the first atomic bombs was manufactured. Hey, what <laughs> what can go wrong? Yes, Chernobyl. Oh, what indeed. And everybody always talks about the prosperity and everything. I was living in after the oil bust in Texas, and so it was like sad depression times and everything. So up until like 86 when we moved back to Houston, you know, I was entirely different experience. Yeah, that's the weird thing. Everyone talks about 80s excess. Like, we all grew up in the 80s. I didn't know any, like, affluent families that yeah, were just you didn't snorting live in coke the entire time. Yeah, well, yeah, I lived in the suburb of L.A., so. Yeah, well, I, I mean, had, I had two uncles that didn't go anywhere without sunglasses and a sob. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm I'm actually surprised that in the 80s there wasn't like a car that just had a nose in front was just powered by an endless line of coke in the road. Well, I think I think if you, if you had to get serious about it, like the 80s is kind of the last year that the American dream made sense for most people, yeah, yeah, where college was affordable that. and mm-hmm. accessible, and you could instantly get out and have a job and pay off those loans in a few years. Yep. And then instantly, instantly start putting money aside. Who knows? Maybe even invest in something that, in addition yeah. to your own retirement. Yeah. But uh, so Blood Dragon is, you know, yes. it's obviously uh, building on what Far Cry established and like everything is just drenched in this like neon lighting. It's it's almost hard on the eyes because just everything's like bright purple or blue. Uh, and I, I love, love, love the, the whole aesthetic uh, behind it was like we are trying to recreate the look of a shitty direct to, to video movie from the 80s uh, like they they outfitted all the all the characters. It's like you have a one hundred and fifty dollar costume budget, and otherwise, you know, it's it's Far Cry. It has you know the big titular blood dragons that uh, at one point you can harness and ride around on a talking one, which is pretty cool. I don't have a clip for that, but I do have a clip for uh, Michael Bean's endless quips, a lot of which work in eighties references. School's out for summer. Schools have forever. <laughs> wow. And, <Really>? and <laughs> some of his quips uh, aren't really 80s inspired at all. Come down and face me, you rusty cum buckets. Wow. Well, actually, the school's out quotes from the late 70s because <laughs> but, Alice but it Cooper's was, song is the Yeah, and I know it was time. Alice Cooper's song, but I think, was it Crocus that did a cover? I, it was, the point <laughs> is, it was on the radio every wow, year. Really? I mean, I got exposed to it in. Um, that the uh, the 70s movie uh, Days of Confused. That's mm. like the first time oh, I wow. really heard that then song. Nickelodeon would play. Uh, I thought it was astonishing. Would play a promo every like uh, not every summer, but a few summers in a row that used it. Mm. Like schools out for summer. Time to watch more dubbed French animation. Let's <laughs> yeah. do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, where, where I lived, like the radio station, like knew what day the school districts were letting out, and they would play that at like seven a.m. So that like oh, your geez. alarm goes off and you hear school's out. It was great. It was great. Oh man, I remember waking up to a, a radio alarm clock. Yeah, the songs yeah. just sort of interweaving with my dreams as I <laughs> slept through them, and that oh, was great. Blood Dragon also. Blood great. Dragon is awesome, but but. So what's weird though is yeah I can't determine 
how much of the because basically it's a love letter to 80s action movies Absolutely. but I think yeah, it yeah. does bleed a little bit into early 90s action movies so I, it's I, a, yeah. a thing that Michael B never broke out of I have not seen that man in 20 years <laughs> he's in a deleted scene from Terminator 2 but he's Kyle Reese the father yep. of John Connor and he's also Hicks please don't watch aliens. Terminator Genesis yeah and and he he recently appeared in uh, so audible put out a an adaptation of the original script for Alien 3 that was written by um, the the writer of um, Neuromancer. William Gibson. Uh, William Gibson. Gibson, yeah, thank you. But yes, William Gibson wrote an original, uh, an earlier script for Alien 3, and Michael Bean and um, Lance Henriksen do like an audio play of it. And wow. I'm just going to say, an Alien 3 that... Just sidelines Ripley is no kind of alien right. sequel. God. <laughs> I mean, kudos for trying. I'm glad those characters survived. But come on. This it, is Ripley's uh, It really story. turned out the other way around yeah. when it got to the screen, didn't it? It did. Like, this is, is less a throwback to the 80s and more a throwback to 80s futurism. Yeah. Like, this, this is how the 80s envisioned the future. It was going to be very analog, like building out from the computers and tape decks and VCRs we had at the time and just imagining more advanced versions of those. Yeah. It's true, yeah. This this game sometimes feels like Tron had a baby with Battlestar Galactica, mm. had a baby with, like, Rad Racer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just weird. It, it, it is the <laughs> best thing about Mystery Science Theater 3000 that every spaceship <laughs> is equipped with 13-inch televisions. That <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hooked up to Commodore 64. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. With with an Atari twenty six hundred, but televisions will become smaller but more bubbly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but Blood Dragon's great. Full disclosure: I do work for Ubisoft, but uh, I liked it long before I started working for them. Play it, and uh, I guess also play this one. Number four. Yakuza, darika o shiwase ni suru koto nante dekinai desu ka ne? Sana. I'll give you a hint. They said the title twice. <laughs> the series that VGA made famous because we've been yep. supporters since the beginning. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yakuza Zero. Yes. This is so Yakuza Zero came out a couple years ago. It's a huge 80s throwback. Yes. Uh, specifically to Japan's 80s. Yes. The 80s that Americans were all afraid of because they're going to buy us out, man. The real affluent 80s is was Japan 80s. Like yeah. They yeah. actually had a ton of money. The economic boom 80s yeah, with yeah. like gadgets all over the place and all these cool things. And like I just remember my, my very first impression of walking through like 1980s Kamurocho was like, yeah, this is, this is like every 80s anime that I've ever seen. This is like... Uh, just really successfully evoking what it must have felt like to walk around back then. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And everything's neon. Like, they act like energy is limitless and will never go away. Mm-hmm. Money literally flies out of bad guys when you beat yep, them up yep, because yep. everyone's just that loaded. All the women wear really tight, revealing evening dresses. It's great. But um, but it, it's interesting that there are parts of Japanese culture that it dives into that, like, heavily reference things from the 80s that will be alien to a lot of Americans and that they don't really take any pains to dis- to explain. Like, for instance, uh, phone clubs. もしもし。もしもし。どうもこんにちは。俺、ゴロを言うんやけど、そっちは。うち、あっこ。あっこちゃんか。あ、なんや、元気なさそうやん。<laughs> 
もっと楽しくおしゃべりしようや He's, he's、uh, answering the phone and saying, like, Oh, Akko,、uh, you sound really tired. Let's keep this fun, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, phone clubs, I found out that it's, it's present, like, you're in, you spend the Yakuza games in various red light districts,、mm-hmm. mostly. And so, there's a lot of shady things that the game sort of glosses over some of the more, more sexual aspects of, like,、uh, phone clubs were. It's sort of presented as like, hey, pay for this booth and women will call and you can set up a date. And what they don't say is、uh, the women setting up a date are usually prostitutes, and it's, it's generally understood that this is a middleman service for、uh, connecting Johns with, with girls. But,、uh, huh,、yeah. do you have a number? <laughs> <laughs> But the, they, they were actually outlawed in a bunch of places、oh, in I Japan. See, because, I totally misread、yeah. the reference. I thought it was more like the party line phenomenon yeah, from the no, 80s totally or, the, or、mm-hmm. more like phone sex. I, I just thought it was like they were flirting and doing what you do with yeah, phone sex. Yeah, I thought so too. But no, it's,、mm. it's that, like, yeah, men rent a booth, women will call their phone, and、uh, they, can, they can set up a meeting outside、yeah. of. And it's just. What? The, the phone club has nothing to do with it. These are just consenting adults setting up a date. We don't have.、Oh, I don't understand、yeah. why they exchanged money.、Uh, <laughs> this, this sounds very familiar to、mm-hmm. a story we're going to talk about later in the news segment. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And、uh, another thing that was big in the 1980s in Japan、uh, was cults. Uh, specifically,、uh, Aum Shinri Kyo, but、uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it was the only cult that was getting big in the 80s. But they, they briefly parody it with、uh, you're trying to, to track down somebody who's been pulled in by a cult. And so you, as, as Goro Majima, poses as a prospect. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm really wild about this.、Uh, what's that chant? Shura PP? Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs>、huh. and, and then you get to kick the ass of the, the cult leader. Of course, yeah, because、yeah, it's Yakuza.、Mm-hmm, of course.、Uh, it also references the 80s most famous pop star, who they're not allowed to explicitly name, but there's an entire series of missions tied to you helping a stand in for Michael Jackson. A Johnson at that. Oh,、yeah. man. I don't think I'd unlock those. There's a、oh, lot of、man. that game that、yeah. I didn't get into. That's an epic mission. So, in the mission, the Michael Jackson like character, oh, he's also accompanied by basically a Steven Spielberg stand in who's supposed to be directing his next oh, music yeah. video. Oh, yeah. Okay, no, I do remember that. They're、yeah. filming the music video and they want it to be realistic looking, so you have to act as his bodyguard and fight off people who are literally trying to attack him and、uh-huh. beat them for real on camera. For the music video to make it look realistic.、Mm-hmm. And then later, there's a dance off with that character in one of the clubs. In the oh, nice. Nice.、Place. Yeah. Yeah. I,、uh, I think I spent too much time probably hanging out with、uh, Bacchus, the, the, the boxing trainer who's like. Jim Bacchus. He's, he's like, he's, he's some sort of Gaijin, possibly American, who's the only spoken lines he has is like, oh, boy. Oh, the Roman god of wine, Bacchus. Hey,、name. boy. Yeah, yeah. Should be one of those phone centers. <laughs> no, and it's actually really true to life of、yeah. 80s Michael Jackson in that. You can't really tell what ethnicity he is at that、yeah. point. It's sort of like an in between Michael Jackson. <laughs> like, he's, had, he's had some surgeries, let's just say.、Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, like later, Yakuza's would, would give you a cell phone to, to save your game. No, this you have to go to phone booths. Yes, you do. Like, like a real Japanese guy and from the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> I was going to say real American, but that doesn't make any sense.、Ah, Superman,、yeah. real American, goes to phone、sure. booths? Yeah, yeah. Goes to phone booths to save his game. <laughs> um, and, and there are some recurring themes from other Yakuza games. Like, there's the guy who's stuck in the toilet in the park, so you have to go around to one of the endless distributors of Kleenex that 
just stand oh, around just hand everywhere out and yeah, yeah. And get get some Kleenex to give him. And there's uh, so yeah, one of the things we talked about um, when we were thinking about including this on the list was it's hard for us to know how accurate to the eighties it is yeah. because none of us grew up in Japan eighties. So I want to know like, but have you been to Japan? Well, no, <laughs> but you kind of got stuck there. <laughs> okay, it's kind of still the eighties. One of the the big kind of side missions in Yakuza Zero is slot car racing, mm-hmm. and I want to know was that actually a big phenomenon in Japan in the eighties? Because it plays, it sure is a big part of this game in terms of the side missions. I mean, I think it was a big phenomenon in a lot of places. Mm. Um, how? Like, how could you even race? How do you do something wrong in that? Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, you you apparently get a part that isn't worth fifty thousand dollars and stick it on your <laughs> little it's toy on, car. It's off. It, what does it have to do with you? I held down. The, how'd you win? Well, I gave it a hundred per ten percent, and I held down the trigger the entire time. <laughs> yeah, but I I do like that the stock car racing or not start slot car racing that actually pays off in Yakuza Kiwami. Yeah, because you go back to the same place and it's like. The same characters who were kids before and you got involved in their problems, and now they're all adults and they're having the same problems that you have to fix for yep, them. Exactly. Yeah. I love that um, there's a couple scenes where they sort of reference like the beginning of video game culture and things like waiting in line for the next big blockbuster game, which mm, wasn't yes. really a thing until the 80s. Well, like Dragon Quest Three. That yeah. was the, yeah, that was was, the big yeah, one, exactly. and that's clearly what they're referencing. Yeah. And, and like... Yeah, you meet this kid who's like lining up outside a Don Quixote to to buy yeah, this yeah, game, yeah. and I don't know why a little kid goes to a uh, like a just rummage store basically in a red light district. To Clearly buy his tilting game, at windmills, that kid. Clearly by the way, when I got all my NES games in the eighties, they were almost always from the pawn shop. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. that's something yeah, similar. Right. That, that was, was very before games. Very pawn. common. Stop. It yeah. felt like yeah. a pawn shop. You'd go to Toys R Us and get a slip and then hand it to someone uh-huh. at a window. And, and the, there's the little kid who wants you to buy him a porno mag, which those are very 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, up until recently, they were yeah. sort of universal several mm-hmm. decades. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't know why an adult has to buy a... a you're, you're buying a nudie mag from a vending machine to give to a kid. Like, you could just give him the money and let him buy it himself. That's the most unrealistic part is you would just find it in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if yes. you really want your yeah. porno mag, do it like the rest of us did. Find it in the you woods. You find it in the woods. It smells vaguely bleachy. Uh, <laughs> we ignore that because look at what that woman's putting in her, in her cooch. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the bleachy thing. What the fuck? Come down and face me, you rusty cum bucket. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that definitely does paint it. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions. Who's just coming in their porno mag? Never mind. Teenagers. I don't wanna- I- oh, yeah. Teenagers. You're telling me it's possible to come to a magazine? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> No, but like inside Still the pictures. magazine, and then never mind. I don't want to know. Yeah, Man, there was some, I, I, I'm be up for it. was something so much more magical about it. Where it was like, oh, wow, this magazine. You know, you can find, just find that shit on the internet these days. But it was like, wow, look at this and stuff. It's like mm-hmm. something sacred. Listen, you said you can probably find it on the internet. <laughs> Did I say probably? <laughs> you said probably. Sacred. It's like, no, you have to leave it here for the next kid. Exactly. <laughs> it's a sacred trip. Trust. Out by the mattresses in the woods behind the golf course. I think even made a treasure map for that shit. Yep. It's growing up in the 80s, yeah. folks. But uh, Yakuza Zero is super fun. It is possibly the best place to start with that franchise if you're interested in starting on it and 
believe me, like it's it's important to find a good starting place because there's a lot of lore and a lot of character development in Yakuza. But uh, don't they let you like put play actual Sega games and like yes. release? Yeah, yeah, and, cool. but, and like that's the only time in the series where like they're brand new. Look at this new game, Space Harrier. It's amazing. Mm. Look at that 3D depth. You know, this is making me think of a game we didn't even consider, but uh, would we count Shenmue on this list as yeah. the 80s? I mean, that's I also Japan that. in the 80s, but yeah. this is a much better Shenmue than Shenmue. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it truly is. Shenmue might be on right on the border of 90s, too, because it has, like, Virtual Fighter in it as mm. well. So. Huh. I'm looking for sailors. Sailors? Yes. Do you know where sailors are? <laughs> sailors gather at the bar. <laughs> Yeah, that's Shenmue yeah, dialogue, all right. Yeah, the yeah. bar? Yes, it's down the street. Which street? <laughs> this street. Okay, thank you. <laughs> the power I'm of exaggerating the babe. a bit. The <laughs> power of the babe? What babe? The babe with the power. The power of voodoo. Voodoo, you do. Dance, Michael. Dance, Michael. Dance. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, my yes, labyrinth. Quite droll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I guess we're already at... Number three. Uh, that, that, the music in this game is amazing. That's so easy. Who Who knows what this is? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna play you guys another hint. That's so generic eighties. <laughs> this is the place I grew up in. Okay, now I know. And grew out of a place I loved and hated. It's 1980X is this game, yes. or 198X, I don't know. 1980X. Yes. They, the character actually says 1980X at one okay. point. Yeah. But the music is, is hard to recognize that for first clip because there are so many different types of games represented mm-hmm. in this game. Yeah, so, and I, I wanted to use this also as an opportunity to discuss a game that it is very similar to, which is Retro Game Challenge. Yeah. So, yeah. but Retro Game Challenge is more about capturing the experience of being a kid playing games at home in the 80s and getting Nintendo power and stuff. Mm-hmm. This is about being a teenager in the 80s and discovering arcades. Yes. And not just any arcade, but a really cool underground arcade. I'd seen video games before. Dad even brought home one black and white model when I was really young. But this was something else. Something you could not take home with you. And this place was definitely no hangout for children. In front of these machines stood some of the coolest uncool people I had ever seen. (laughs) By the way, the game's idea of coolest uncool people is a bunch of friggin' 80s fashion plates. I was going to say, I feel subtweeted. Right? right? (laughs) Now, there's there's a girl dressed like Madonna. There's a girl wearing hot pants. And, Absolutely. And some, some hip-hop-looking dudes with big gold chains. And, yeah. Um, but this is, yeah, this is a game about this, this character just called The Kid who discovers arcade games. And it's actually, it's a collection uh-huh. of several different games that... Mm-hmm. Recapture the style, if not the the look of '80s arcade yeah. games. Yeah, because we were gonna say we were talking about like 
these look like the best looking 80s they are games super you ever good looking. Seen. Yeah, like, yeah. Very, like, that's I, no I Double Dragon. No, <laughs> I don't think even 80s arcade games were capable of no, looking no, this no. good or moving this smoothly. Okay, this is the way I'm going to put it. It's the way you remember them. Like, okay, yeah, okay the Teenage yes. Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. When you went in there in the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, or it was like 89 or something like that, mm-hmm. it looked amazing. And then when they finally ported it to the NES, I think you went home and you are like, Wow, this is like crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was like, it was like the first time you were aware of this disparity between graphics. That 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 was it for me. It was a TMT uh, TMNT arcade game, mm-hmm. and it was just like so, so amazing in the arcade. I mean, but... maybe it was the first time you were aware of that. Uh-huh. I was generally pretty aware of it, but I think the time when it really hit home was when I ordered a copy of Chiller out of an ad in GamePro that promised arcade-quality graphics. Yes! And so I, I got it, I waited weeks, I put it in, and it's like... Oh, you meant arcade circa 1980. I was going to say, so garbage. <laughs> yes. I remember being cheated by those things. And oh, it's yeah. uh, such a shitty game. So, what are the game types in this? There's a. I know there's a beat em up. Yeah. There's it's a yes. shooter. It's like a shooter. There's mm-hmm. a side like shooter. A racer. Like, like an R type Gradius type shooter. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, a rad racer. A rad yeah. racer. It's there's... more of an outrun. It has that, like, tiled yeah. background elements coming at you constantly. There's that, the, the first person RPG, like the maze RPGs. Uh-huh. Like, yes. uh, those that, like, killing time or something like that uh but i, I think it's hard kill screen back. it's called hard getting back to like early might and magic games yeah it? It, it feels like like something like fantasy star actually with the the music and the sort of techno fantasy presentation yeah. it's very slick and then there's the ninja game the shinobi game yeah, yeah where you're like a, a ninja with a fox mask and it's it's really it's an auto runner where you have to know mm-hmm. the enemy placement and like when to hit the slash button but it looks and plays so good yeah yeah, that's and, that's the one I'm like, no game looked this good back then. No. Like, not even Neo Geo games, which are really more 90s, mm-hmm. I guess. But, uh, but th- this is a game, uh, it takes maybe between 30 and 90 minutes to get through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of achievements if you want to go back and do really well at the games. But it is kind of like, here's a couple levels of an arcade game. Here's some story about the main character. Here's another couple levels. Mm-hmm. And you never actually play as the kid like in any sort of action setting or anything you're just playing as the kid playing these games mm-hmm. and experiencing them and it's it's really about the experience of discovering games and i think that's something that you don't get so much anymore like the the idea of like just being like you walk into an arcade and like oh what's this game what's this like mm-hmm. uh oh what what is what does this character do what's this level it was it was like just Walk in any direction, find a thing. It was like an adventure unto itself. Whereas yes. now it's just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this game I'm really excited for is coming out. Downloaded. Now I'm going to play it. Oh, this is all I'm doing for a week. Yeah. And you know about it like two years in advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you want to complain about microtransactions? How about 25 cents per <laughs> life, <laughs> motherfucker? <laughs> Yeah, for about a 30, 30 to 45 second game. Oh, you want to play Dragon Slayer? That's 50 cents a pop. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but isn't the meta-narrative in this game that the kid, as they discover new games, they in real life, it begins to kind of cross over and blur the lines of reality in the game? Um, toward the end, yeah, a little okay. bit. But it, it really is just like the, the game is starts to reflect things that are happening to the kid. But yeah, um, 1980X, like, they, these are really finely honed uh, arcade experiences, and they're yeah. all bite-sized. Nothing wears out its welcome. When did this come out? This is uh, June 20th? It was, it was okay. late last month. So okay. this was just was a couple recent. weeks old. And it's, it's That, that like a... speaks to how good it is. It made it into the top five, despite yeah. basically yeah. just having come out. And it's a, I think it's only a $10 game. It's yeah. a yes. short check. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 
I think I got it for five because the summer sale was like, hey, you want to cash in some of these tokens? I'm like, I don't know what those are. Sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just like arcades. Yeah, Damn exactly. Ah, oh, man, gotcha. tokens. Never again. Uh, but anyway, yeah, 1980X. It's supposedly out on PS4 now, or at least by the end of the month. Yeah, supposedly. I, I looked for it and uh, wasn't able to find yeah, it the other it. day. But uh, it's definitely on Steam. So, yeah, buy it there. But, but, but yeah, I think one of the... The key points it makes is as it waxes poetic about the experience of video gaming. Another life was just one credit away. Down here, I found new worlds and new meaning. I could be whoever I wanted to be. Travel to outer space, experience fantasy and fear just take a walk on the wild side of town and beat up all the punks i find <laughs> i loved arcades mm. and i thought video games were magical in the 80s but can't say i ever felt that depth of emotion at the time. <laughs> maybe in retrospect right. not at the time yeah. at the time it was like oh cool, cool. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna play as jimmy lee instead of billy lee this time uh but but yeah like and that that monologue is actually delivered in this really cool part of the outrun game where it's like that you're you're just on an endless highway surrounded by other cars, and like the timers tick, like gets to some ridiculous number and just starts counting down as the the monologue runs. Mm. Like ah oh man, it's it's so great. It's such a great. Experience. It sounds like a driving monologue from an '80s movie. It, yeah. it absolutely is. And that, that's 100 percent that what it is. So like for those who didn't grow up in the '80s. That type of synth, no one ever used in actual like songs that you would listen to, but mm-hmm. they were it was prevalent in every movie soundtrack, yes. TV shows. Yes. It, like yeah, that that's the only time you heard that synth stuff, but that's why it's so familiar every time you hear it. You're like, oh yeah, that was like in Highlander and things mm-hmm. like that. You're like, yeah, it's because of like Giorgio Moroder and uh, and other composers that were big in the eighties at the yeah. time. And, yeah, very very synth heavy sound that maybe you got in like some some new wave Britpop bands, but for the most part, like everybody sounded like Journey, <laughs> <laughs> Journey and Aerosmith. That's the eighties. That's the real eighties. Anyway, let's move on to number two. game is that deep bass thrumming from? Uh, Everybody's looking at their phone. Uh, no, I'm trying to... Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, is this Hotline Miami? This is Hotline oh, Miami. Miami. Okay. <laughs> I don't, because normally I don't really hear that, and then you usually just hear me smashing things yeah, in the head. Yeah, m- most of what you hear is more like this. Yeah, yeah. Just... and then even the cutscenes don't don't have that nice pleasant music. Like they're very, uh, it's like uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, the or they sound like this. <laughs> That's the music when you get a call. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, Hotline Miami kind of takes place in this alternate universe alternate timeline where like the Soviet Union and the US had some sort of actual shooting war like Hmm. over Hawaii and uh, that the US lost so the US is kind of living under uh, this encroaching Russian rule 
and so the, and there's Russian monsters all over the place uh, running the drug trade in Miami, and they all dress like Don Johnson in Miami Vice with the white suits and the blue shirts. Sort of my assumption about real life in, in mm-hmm. Miami in the 80s. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, because you got that in Scarface, and so... Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of floral yeah. prints, a lot, a lot of like linen suits. It's, it's all about the, uh, yeah, the the nineteen eighties Miami drug trade, and you are uh, possibly some sort of hitman, possibly some sort of guy who's just profoundly damaged and or being blackmailed. But you get calls with like cryptic instructions, like, yeah. oh, we need an exterminator to go to this address. Be sure to pick up your uniform on the way, and then you go to this building, and you just break in with no weapons and start smashing the shit out of everybody, grabbing whatever you can. Uh, Find a baseball bat. You wait for a guy to stop behind a door and then you slam open the door and you kill him and you throw the baseball bat at the guy on the other side of the room and you take his gun and then you start shooting people and it's just this orgy of violence. And it is one of the ugliest games that I've ever played. Like, in more than visually, like, just... Its soul is ugly. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like, this is so good and so well constructed mm-hmm. and so addictive and so profoundly interesting that, it, like, you, you just have to see it through to, to the very bloody conclusion and then the alternate conclusion where you die and another character takes over. Um, yeah, Hotline Miami is, like, generally considered one of the greats when it yes. comes to indie games mm-hmm. yeah it's Definitely. true it's yeah. it is one of the most brutal games and you were talking about how ugly it is mm-hmm. i think it's related to that brutality you ever smell a game because i can <laughs> smell hotline oh, Miami. like yeah that and manhunt i yeah. think are about oh, yeah. the only games yeah. I, I could probably smell <laughs> yeah, yeah. Re- retweet if you can hear this gift <laughs> but man i love it i i love just the 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 visceral feeling of just like wading into dudes and and like just doing like a drive style like you you've got a, a guy slumped against a wall and you just like smash his face in with your boot or yeah I mean and, 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 and what what a lot of the visuals and the moment to moment action actually hide is that it it's more of a puzzle game than anything it really mm-hmm. is trying to figure out how to work yeah. your way through these houses or apartments and kill dudes so that the other ones in other rooms don't detect you and, mm-hmm. and so that you can kind of yeah get through these levels and becomes very very challenging and to the point where even like the sequel like a lot of people said this is just too hard because it yeah. sort of just picked right up where the first one left off and it's like yeah and, keep doing more of this. it also introduced like a lot of new characters with new gameplay styles like you had that one guy who could like shoot with akimbo uh smgs and but he always did it like in this widening pattern starting from the front and out to the sides you had the fans who were just like these also mentally disturbed people in animal masks and they all had different abilities that's what gets me about this game i i don't know what kind of phobia this would be but i just do not like people in animal masks i think maybe i think it ties to the manhunt games with like Mm. the piggy guy and all that like that is Maybe Profound. you watched uh, Hostel and uh, Eyes Wide Shut too close to each other. Uh, or even, um, what's the that HBO anthology series, uh, True, True Detective. Oh, yeah. In, okay. in the first season, there was a little bit of animal mask stuff. Were they? Like, yeah. yeah. With the Cajun stuff. Yeah. yeah. It was, it's all disturbing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if, if the first time I played through it, I think I, I was playing it on Steam with a controller and then like... I had to review it uh, when it came to Mac uh, a while later, and that's when I realized, like, oh, you can lock on to enemies? Like, that changes everything! It's so much easier once you realize that. It's like, 
like the first time around, it's like, yeah, this is really good, but this is just so hard. Yeah. Why is it so hard? And then like, yeah, because I wasn't locking on the end. I know I could. Oops. Oh, well. So it happens. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, uh, talking about the 80s nature of this mm-hmm. game. So in addition to that Miami drug trade aesthetic, I, I don't know. That's, that's actually where at some point I was kind of questioning him like, well... In terms of the gameplay, I'm not sure there's much that's very 80s no. here. It's, well, it's I mean, more the theme. It's, it's the other than 1980X, what's 80s about any of these games? Well, 1980, yeah, yeah, that's true. That has all the games. That, that's totally riffing on it. It's mm-hmm. nostalgia trip. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But yeah, this one to me is like this weird, disturbing 80s. That which, to be honest, like yeah, the 80s definitely had that. Like go back and watch Scarface. Scarface mm-hmm. is a brutal movie. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, it played on all those fears that we were talking about earlier. It's like you were saying this alternate you know reality where things went to hell Mm -hmm. yeah but i think this one also plays on something that you know began to be a thing in the 80s with movies which is just um cartoon-like hyper violence yes Uh, and and i think 70s cinema had some of this as well but but like 80s cinema really especially horror movies took it over the edge just buckets of blood everywhere to the point where it's like you get numb to it Mm-hmm. And and you're just like okay, I'm just gonna keep playing through because at first it might be shocking, then you're like, oh whatever, that's just what this game is. Yeah, yeah, just gonna just gonna turn every level into a, a lovely red splatter painting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's it's the Kill Bill thing, you know. Like mm-hmm. Eventually, yes. Kill Bill's like, okay, yeah, that's just part of this movie, and yep. it's more yep. like paint than anything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Especially when you use uh, shotguns as your brush. <laughs> 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 oh yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, speaking of. If I don't hear Tommy Versetti at some point in this list, it would not be an 80s list. Mm, absolutely not. So how'd the deal go down? You sitting on some white gold? Look, Sonny, we were set up. The deal was an ambush. Harry and Lee are dead. You better be kidding me, Tommy! Tell me you still got the money. No, Sonny. I don't have the money. That was my money, Tommy! My money! I'm going to send you to Driver 3 and you're going to have to wear water wings. <laughs> Timmy Vermicelli, everybody. And before we get into this game that I'm, I'm sure most people listening know on some level as Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Um, yeah, that that was a, a weird little in-joke that it made fun of Driver's protagonist, Tanner. Or no, Grand Theft Auto 3 did. Yes. Where, where he's like... Uh, an FBI like an informant or something, and you have to go kill him. And then Driver retaliated by putting Timmy Vermicelli's into uh, Driver Three, which were these little caricatures of Tommy Versetti wearing water wings because Tommy Versetti can't swim, and uh, <laughs> and and you'd have to to shoot them. And they had like big chunky hands with no fingers, just like characters in GTA at the time. Vice City takes place. In, you know, a Grand Theft Auto version of Miami, which is called Vice City, and you're playing as Tommy Versetti, a transplant from Liberty City who's like a mobster who who did time for the family, and now he's been, uh, they're setting him up in the drug trade in Miami, and, and his very first deal immediately goes south when uh, he's he's ambushed by a bunch of gunmen. They kill uh, Victor Vance, who would go on to become the, the protagonist of the prequel Vice City Stories, mm-hmm. which is also really mm-hmm. good. Really good. Yeah. And uh, But the, the drugs and the money get stolen, and it kicks off this adventure where Tommy has to start doing favors for a bunch of movers and shakers in the Miami drug scene in order to get back what was taken from him and to eventually get back on top 
and take literally the mansion from Scarface for himself. Yeah, it's it was pretty much Scarface the game mm-hmm. before I I before came along at, at, came yeah along. and did yeah. a Scarface game at Vivendi. So. But but this was like you know the the previous Grand Theft Autos had all been set in the modern day more or less or yeah. the near future. Yeah. GTA three was early two thousands. Uh, this was the first time it was like, well, after London 1969, that it mm-hmm. was a deliberate throwback. It's like, we're going to do Miami in the 80s. Everything's going to be 80s. The radio's going to be 80s. We're going to put out a box set of CDs. Oh, my God. Yeah. That soundtrack <laughs> yeah. box set was amazing. Oh, the, well, the soundtrack in general was amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's yeah. Definitely. How many CDs do you remember were in there? It was it was so many CDs. I mean, I've got it in music. the other room, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, it, was, it was like a 10-CD set or something. It was just something like was a ton. A, yeah. I think it was like six or seven, but yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was one CD music. for each radio station in the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. And then they did the same thing with San Andreas. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but yeah. And, and yeah, that that was like the introduction of Laszlo. I'm, I'm the hard rock DJ and... And, and the thing I remember, by the way, uh, I confirmed he could not swim in this game, which oh, is okay. so weird All for right. a game based in yeah. Miami around water. Yeah, that's And I think crazy. that's part of the joke of later mm-hmm. games is sort of yeah. make fun of that. Um, what this game did for me, even though I grew up in the 80s, I I was too young for a lot of 80s stuff. And my parents were good parents and didn't let me, didn't expose me to a lot of stuff. Like, I didn't see Scarface until I was in college, at least, because it was like, hey, what's this poster that every other guy in the dorm has on his wall? Mm. Oh, we better, we better see this movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, or every rapper is, is impersonating. So, but this game actually exposed me to a lot of like that older, more mature '80s content stuff. Like a lot of the music I, is like my first time hearing some of that music, and I was really? like, "Oh yeah!" <laughs> and then and then some of these references, I'm like, "Oh, that's what that reference is." And so it really did kind of reacquaint me with '80s culture that I missed because I was probably too young at the time to to get exposed to some of this stuff. And you have to remember during the 80s too, I mean going in different directions that was also with the big D&D scare where it's like, you don't oh, understand yeah, that was yeah. a nationwide thing where it's like, that's the devil, they're all devil worshippers. Yeah, I'm surprised but, that hasn't yeah. hit Stranger Things yet. Maybe it does this season, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they made it seem normal. I'm sorry, it was not like that, especially in a no. little town like that. Don't no, you guys no, no. know they've moved on, now they're really opposed to monster energy drinks and all that <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, Satanic Panic has moved on. Well, I mean, as long as we digressed down this avenue i can retell the story of when i found out about that and came came uh into first hand contact with it and that like me and my friends would like meet in the school library during recess to worship the devil to to worship the devil well to play dungeons and dragons and like we didn't really like we didn't have any of the rule books we just like had a basic understanding of some of the rules so we were just like fucking around and like one time the librarian came up to us well the assistant librarian who's the wife of the janitor and she's like Oh, what are you doing? And like we're playing Dungeons Dragons. It's like, do you know what that is? Mm. Like, yeah, it's a role playing game. No, it's devil worship. <laughs> and like, this is the first I was hearing of this. So like, this this kicked off like this major religious crisis in me. Like, oh my god, what is it? And my dad was like, you can't worship the devil without meaning to. Come right. on. Well, you you said you said. Hold on, I can't hear you. Let me pause my Black Sabbath tape. Now, what was this about devil worship? <laughs> yeah, I was I was like what, like a fifth grader at the time, and yeah. and then shortly after that, mysteriously, like students are no longer allowed to be in the library during recess. It's like, oh, fuck you, lady. On. Yeah, yeah, fuck you from across the the fog of time. But what are those tracts called? The uh, the the chick tracts. Trick- you're talking to a guy who went to a private school, uh, a private Christian school mm-hmm. up through eighth grade, who actually had a real chick tract like distributed in one of his classes oh, at Jesus. some point. Yes, about 
satanic panic and all mm. of that stuff. So. But we're not talking about D and D. No, no, <laughs> we are talking. Oh, well, about... Well, of course, hey, that famous yeah. scene in Vice City where they're playing D and D. That wouldn't have surprised me if there had been a scene where it's like some of the other, like Ken Rosenberg and the, one of the guys from Love Fist are playing Dungeons and Dragons, and like Tommy comes and kicks over the table. Well, you would need like a Joe Pesci esque character to get super pissed off and kill someone for. Uh-huh. You didn't roll a natural 20! (laughs) He's getting really super pissed and pedantic about the rules. Uh, Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Joe Joe Pesci into Dungeons & Dragons is a character that I think deserves to be workshopped. I think so, too. (laughs) Maybe we'll we'll talk after the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, uh, mentioning Joe Pesci, Mm -hmm. what was great about Tommy Versetti was Ray Liotta. From mm-hmm. Goodfellas, like Mr. Goodfellas, yeah. kind of sort of reprising his Goodfellas role, but not really. A little bit. Dumb Florida moron. Oh. <laughs> if only there was a dumb Florida moron here to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll say, yeah, Chris Chris got disconnected. We're dealing mm-hmm. with some technical issues yeah, right but, now. But this was the first time GTA really leaned into what they could license. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Grand Theft Auto Three soundtrack was kind of, it was a bunch of lesser known music. Uh, it was licensed, but like it was a lot of wasn't stuff that you'd like just hear on the radio at the mall or anything. And oh, yeah, they had GTA Three money to license all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah, they they licensed all these hits from the eighties, big name bands yeah. and tons of them, and they got celebrity voice actors. So they had not only Ray Liotta, but also uh, Burt Fucking Reynolds. Son, you help me, and any grease balls giving you a hard time, I'll see to it. They take a long dirt nap. Okay. What could I do for you? This delivery company's got its depot on some prime land. They won't sell. They're hanging on like a big old prairie rat. So we got to go in there and smoke that vermin out. That is not a good voice acting performance. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, uh, rest in peace, well. Reynolds. But, he, he's uh, uh, leaning on the accent a little too hard. Yeah. It's not quite right. See what we got here? We got this shipment of Coors beer, and we got to get it across the Mississippi mm-hmm. in time. He should have just done Burt. Yeah, that would have been fine. <laughs> totally, <laughs> it's more than enough. But yeah, the, like this, I I feel like this hit the '80s nostalgia high notes like before it was even that much of a thing. Like back when it was just starting, when it was almost like eh, it's too early for '80s nostalgia. It was only twenty years ago. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. When when was this game? When did this release? This is like. 2003, 2004? Three or four, yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, Jeez. yeah, yeah. This may be one of the... Mm, I don't want to say it's peak Grand Theft Auto, but it's it's, it's definitely up there. For I me. hear that a lot. I mean, for a long time, Brett Elston, friend of the show, and I would disagree on whether this was peak Grand Theft Auto or San Andreas was. I think it was San Andreas, mm-hmm. because that had like this huge sprawling open world where you could do like all kinds of crazy shit Mm -hmm. and this this great rags to riches story whereas like this is yeah you can do a lot and uh the the atmosphere is really fun and evocative but it's still it's it feels like a prettier more responsive version of gta 3 true and and that game you know is more peak 90s grand Mm -hmm. theft auto like it it is boys in the hood the video game whereas this game is like you know scarface game yeah I guess they haven't done a 70s game yet, have they? Hmm. They kind of need to go back and do that. Yeah, yeah. Again, the closest that we've had is London 1969, which I would love to see a, a modern-day version of, or, or a current-gen version of. Featuring Austin Powers. Yes. <laughs> Just get that It had the car from Austin Powers. I'm sure it did. <laughs> I mean, well, sure and that you can slap a Union Jack on any convertible, yeah, and yeah, it becomes yeah, the sure, Austin Powers sure. car. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you can buy a mini here and do the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, this leaned really hard into the 80s. Like, this was probably the least, well, next maybe Hotline Miami, the least idealized version of the 80s on our list. And, and yet somehow also the most. True. It had those great designer suits with the, the sleeves rolled up to the elbow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, I don't know why that was a thing. Because it's hot in Miami. That's why it's right. Yeah, it's really yeah fucking fair hot. point, fair point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And Don Johnson made it cool, man. Oh, if only our dumb Florida moron could talk more about the representation of his home state. Yes. Can we just save that one on the soundboard? <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Chris Chris uh, had some sort of internet service failure, so uh, hopefully he'll rejoin us for the next segment. But on that note, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we will talk about some new releases, some news, and some other stuff. So stay tuned. Be all that you can be. Just as long as you are free. You are blind and night of sea. That which is my techno. You can't trip on my synthesizer. Electronic love for every boy and every girl. You can't trip on Let's get scratching. Is the world of today getting you down? Well, then why not check in on some of the good stuff that happened this week in movies, TV, games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago this very week with our show 302010. Here's a clip from 1999. Yeah, I added a clip and it's just called Oh My God, Best Scene because so much of it, like you said, it's about, you know, there's this heat wave and then the power goes out, there's riots, and, and, you know, in the background is this maniac is just shooting people dead and this movie's really good um if you know unsubtle because it's spike lee but it's really good until we actually get to see david berkowitz uh the son of sam <laughs> killer mm-hmm. played by michael Badaluco. now if you know the story um he says that he was told to kill by uh, his neighbor's dog mm-hmm. right and there is a scene depicting this yes there is Ooh. And the dog's mouth moves like he's going to tell him to roll a beautiful bean footage. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the moment where it's like I was with this movie and then I saw this scene and I laughed so fucking hard. So roll that beautiful bean footage. I thought I killed you, Mr. Black How did you get in here? Leave me alone. <laughs> what do you want? I want you to go out and kill. Kill. Please, please oh remind God. me. We got to put that on our Facebook. I like, cannot believe they made that good boy it's... say those words. Jump into the past with 302010 every Thursday on lasertimepodcast.com or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Five, four, three, two, one. And welcome back to our final segment where we are completely Chrisless, at least for the time being. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's. No, no, he's my middle name's Chris, so you're oh, kind of true. Adam yeah. Chris. And people sometimes confuse me for Chris. They, they call me Chris instead of Michael. Well, and, that's uh, the years we were born, you know what yeah, I mean? It's, 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 everybody in the, it was born in like the late 70s, early 80s was named either Michael you know, or Chris. Let's really take the time to break this down. We because I, I don't think we need to get on to the... I 
just wanted to make it clear because normally we lose our mm-hmm. guest by mm-hmm. this point, but uh, <laughs> we've lost Chris this time because he's having some sort of internet outage. So he might jump in later in the show. That's mm-hmm. that's not a prediction. That's just me saying that. Hopefully, right. <laughs> sure. But anyway, yeah, a bunch of. Stuff came out this week. Uh, sea of Solitude is uh, one of the bigger releases. It is an indie game published by EA, and it is a very pretty and personal exploration of loneliness and depression and the way that we uh, push our family members away while at the same time trying to be there for them and often failing. You are playing as a, a monster girl named Kay, who doesn't really know why she's a monster, but... Uh, She's sailing through these stormy seas at night, and there are monsters in the water, and she meets this uh, shining light of a girl who uh, offers to guide her, and then apparently gets eaten by a monster early on, and uh, so you have to kind of try and light the world around you, uh, clear away this corruption that is creating these monsters, and most of all, there's this giant monster that appears swimming through the water at some point. Uh, often when you need to swim from point A to point B, so you kind of have to keep an eye on it and time your swimming very carefully so that, uh, like, I, I need to make it from this ledge to this other ledge when the monster is as far away from me as possible because the second I enter the water, it's going to turn around and lunge at me, and if it catches me, it's going to throw me up into the air and chomp me, and uh, and I have to start over because I'm dead. What's the percentage of game devs who, like, have trouble swimming? Because I feel hmm. like every water level in every game is a stressful I mean, water I, level. I feel like it's it's a really easy way to kind of generate tension because... Mm-hmm. It's 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 a symbolic game, isn't it? And that gives yes, some kind of it's like, very it's, symbolic. That's, that's a, a tendency, I would say. Yeah, you're drowning in a sea of your feelings. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> Can what, I borrow the, a The beast is something else, <laughs> yeah. yes. Can I borrow a feeling? That's what I was going <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> uh, But yeah, well, the beasts are something else. And, and you will encounter uh, these monsters that Kay wants to help. And they represent her family members. Like you'll meet this gigantic crow with human hands early on that is her brother. And you uh, travel through his memories and you find out like, oh, he was relentlessly bullied by these kids at school that uh, Kay, as his much older sister, thought were, oh, those are just your little friends. You're having fun with them. And every, like, you you hear these dialogues uh, kind of spoken off screen and realizing that, like, every time he was trying to tell her about what was happening to him at school. She was just ignoring it's like, and, and these other kids they're they're always after me and they beat me up and uh, I, don't, I don't like them. They make me cry. And, and then Kay starts laughing and I was like, why are you laughing? It's like, Oh, you should see this, this cute puppy that my boyfriend sent me. And, like showing him. She this, is a monster. Yeah. Well, she's, <laughs> she's just very self-absorbed and it's about kind, kind of coming to terms with her own, self-absorption and like has she been there for people which she she thinks she's a good person has she been a good person can she be better how old is Kay? she's seems to be somewhere in her 20s she was a teenager like every teenager super self-absorbed yeah but there are still some things that gnaw me up from like eighth grade yeah yeah yeah. i was thinking about something i said in like seventh grade to a teacher that i regret and God, how many years has that mm-hmm. been? I, it's so much longer than some of my friends have been alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things like you're probably the only person on earth who remembers it. Yes. 
So I get it. I've wanted to play this game, and mm-hmm. I, the second I saw it, and it, the the theme really means a lot to me. But uh, yeah. unfortunately, I've, it's like I saw some like middling reviews over it. I haven't hmm. had a well, chance to look at it. It's one of those things. I think I saw a Kotaku piece that was like, uh, I, f- I I don't like this, and I feel bad about it uh-huh. because it's a very personal thing. It's like. It's okay to dislike personal art. Like, you yes. don't have to like something just because it's a person pouring out their feelings. Right. Uh, you, you can dislike it for that very reason. That's fine. How you interact with art is up to you. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, but it is, uh, I mean, I, I think this is, it's a very interesting, uh, exploration of this, and it's a pretty good game on top of that. Uh, I'm I mean, have to play it yeah, the, 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 the swimming, the boat physics, the exploration are all a lot of fun. The, uh, the platforming is pretty tight. There are a bunch of little optional things like you shoo away seagulls and find messages in bottles. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot here to, to explore. I mean, there, there are bits where, like, not to spoil too much, but during the bullying phase, like, you're surrounded by all these, uh, shadowy giant kids in this this narrow hallway who are like keep whispering like when we find you we're gonna kill you and and it's one of those things where like i i remember kids talking like this when i was a kid i remember probably talking like this to people and it's it's not one of those things it's like to to the bullies it's just pretend it's like we're just joking around we're not we're not actually gonna kill you we might rough you up a little bit but we're just trying to scare you Whereas if you're the kid being told this, you don't know. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Like, it could be just a joke, or it could be that these kids actually want to hurt you really badly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's um, what, I, what I've played of it is really good. Cool. Uh, also out this week, a um, bunch of other things. Stranger Things. Uh, yeah, to The, tie to the season three tie-in game that yeah. inspired this, but... Uh, I, I played a little bit of that. It is a an isometric uh, sort of 16-bit looking throwback where yeah. you are controlling two of the kids at a time, and uh, and as you find more kids as as you go through and like recruit them, then you can just switch between them. Everybody has like different abilities and weapons that they can use. Um, so it's like a little bit of art, light RPG elements with a little with bit like little you know you, you recruit Dustin early on and and he has like he can hack door doors that are locked with uh, keypads, for example, which is something you find early on. Um, he has no teeth. He can gum things to death. Yeah, he can. I, I, maybe he has teeth now. I don't. <laughs> I think he has like I think he has like baby teeth or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Um, yeah, it's it's okay. Like I, I I don't think Finn Wolfhard smashes quite this many rats with a baseball bat in the show, <laughs> but uh, he does it a lot here. Okay, okay. Um, it's gotten a lot, lot of rats in season three. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Oh, okay. That's um, good. yeah. I, the reason I was looking forward to this one is the uh, the tie-in with last season, the mobile game, mm-hmm. is actually really excellent. It's like early 16-bit. It's not isometric, but it is top-down. Mm-hmm. RPG and there's just a lot to it. I believe it was free, even like it's really, really good. And so, yeah. this uh, is very not free. Okay, yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. twenty bucks. Yeah, twenty bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like I think they took the positive reception of that game and said, "Well, what if we got a bigger budget and did a little bit more with it?" And what I like is it is it's sort of representing the natural progression of games at the time. Like you know, if this if, if the last game was like more of this top down RPG thing, this is like isometric, which a lot of games in the yeah. 16 bit era. It did. feels it feels a little bit like the Super Nintendo Shadowrun yeah. game 
that is yeah. one of my favorite games of all time, so now I am intrigued. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that it's as special as that Shadowrun yeah, game, no, but it definitely feels a little bit the same. And, you want to talk about synth in a soundtrack. That, mm, that that's soundtrack true. Is yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, check it out. Actually, VG Empire did a whole episode dedicated to Shadowrun music and games. Mm, Very good. Nice. Oh, Stranger Things game getting kind of middling reviews, so... Uh, Okay. Play at your own risk. About like season three, it sounds like. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, what else we got? Dr. Mario World. Dr. Mario World on iOS mm. came out. Um, was I, one of those... I'm holding that for Dr. Mario Country. Right, uh-huh. right. Yeah, where it's all just uh, JPEGs. Yeah. It's made to yeah, look yeah. like animation. Mm-hmm. So here's my take on that. Okay. okay. So Nintendo wanted to give us a, a you know a gaming experience that was right for it. They offered us a pretty good game, the first stage free, and then they you know and then you had to pay ten bucks for the rest of it. That was Super Mario Run. Yeah. Y'all didn't like that. You were like, no, we liked it freemium model. We're gonna spend out a thousand. So this is to me is like them giving in. It's a match three game. It's like Bejeweled Blitz. It's like Candy Crush Saga. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. Toon Blast. This is such a yeah. cynical game. So well, I'll, it, I'll rephrase that. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll say I'll say that in a different way, which is, out of all the Nintendo iOS games so far, so there's been Animal Crossing, there's been the Fire Emblem game, there's been Mario, there's this. This feels the most like a mobile game. Yes, mm-hmm. the, it's the them least surrendering. Like a, the least like a Nintendo game, and the most like a mobile yeah. game. Well, it's it's a little strange because you know Doctor Mario. Yeah. It's like Puyo Puyo. You get the the falling pills. You line them up. No, no, no. You know Doctor Mario with the with the water and the the floating pills. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was gonna say. No, that that's the Doctor Mario you you think you know. Yeah, this is Doctor Mario where you have. A specific amount of pills, like you have eight pills to kill yeah. these viruses, and so you have to uh, line them up, and they will gradually float to the top and uh, connect to the the viruses. And and as always, like you you match three blocks of any color virus or mm. pill, and it will disappear. So we'll get to the color thing in a minute. But what this feels more <laughs> yeah. like is, I know some Doctor Mario games have the puzzle mode. Yeah. So this is more of a puzzle game where you are trying to figure out. How to eliminate all the blocks within that set number of blocks, as Michael sure. talked about. Yeah. One of the things the game is getting heavily criticized for is, though, it's it's very obvious what the monetization hooks yeah. in this game are. And it feels very much like... What are they? they? Well, so there's a couple ways to spend money. So in each match, there are power-ups that you can activate that will sort of make each puzzle easy. Which you won't really notice for like the first 20 or so levels. And then it starts to get like... Oh, okay, yeah, this can start to be challenging. Um, so it's it's all of those kind of power-ups. There's also the... You can team up with other characters that are kind of like the sub-characters. So, so you mm-hmm. have your Doctor, which mm-hmm. I think... I don't know if you get more, but you can start with either Mario, Peach, or Bowser, and they all have different special powers that charges over the course of the match. Or, of course, you can pay money in that. You start mm-hmm. the match fully charged, of course. Um in many ways, this feels like Candy Crush. It even takes place on one of those like board game boards that you can tell is an endless board and there is no end to it, but it makes you think there's an end to it. And it's also just like Toon Blast. It's got the three star system where it's like this yeah. is how you've mm-hmm. rated, and you know, and these are all things. These, these are all things that, and it surprises me when I see reviews like that because it's like, yeah, this is real established, and I don't like to admit it, but this is what people like, and that's why I want to say it's it's so the, it's they're surrendering to it. It's like we tried to give you a better model of mobile gaming, but no, this is what people really want who play these types so, of games. That's so here's the I, thing: pay to win and all that out. You know, whatever. Disregard all that. Yeah. In terms of its own merits as a mobile game, 
I don't think it's a bad mobile game. It's just this whole float up and match color thing. Mm-hmm. Why did they feel the need to say this is Dr. Mario? Like, Dr. Mario itself would actually make a pretty good mobile game. Yeah. You know, like just the falling pill, the classic yeah. Dr. Mario formula. I was almost expecting him like, oh, if there's a certain level I reach, do I just unlock regular old Dr. Mario? Because that's all I really wanted <laughs> out of this game. But not yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've only gotten past level 25. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to play this game anymore. Yeah. And here's why. I'm not knocking Nintendo. I love Nintendo. Um, I'm colorblind. I'm disabled. You guys know that by now. Once you get to level 25 1A, there's a little side path thing. Uh, they add new colors. And this has happened to me in puzzle games before. I can't tell the difference between the blue and the purple or the green and the yellow. And so now I'm fucked. Mm-hmm. And as someone on Twitter pointed out, oh, wait, it's okay. The viruses are different shapes. A, it takes you longer to recognize the shape thing than the color. Like the colors is a quicker thing. So that sucks. But B... That's fine, but the pills are all the same shape, and there's no mm, distinguishing characteristics, yeah, so I can't true. tell the color of the pill. So I cannot play this game. There are no colorblind options that they put in here. Um, if anything, that's one another complaint about the game. It's very stripped down. There are yeah. very few options and modes and all this stuff. It's And so for me, it's like I can't play it anymore. So until you fix that, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I refuse to play this type of game. Like I, I think... You're disregarding a huge chunk of your gaming audience, which, let's mm. face it, is is there's a lot of males that play video games, and a huge chunk of the male population is colorblind in some way, shape, or form. So that's fucked, uh, and it's fucked, and I'm sick of it, and I'm really disappointed that a Nintendo game just doesn't even think about that, and I just cannot play this game. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, another game that you did play, uh, which <laughs> we can't talk about. I didn't yet. mean to get so heated over Dr. Mario. Mario. I just talked about this all night. <laughs> I, just, I just don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, but you did play Dragon Quest Builders 2. Uh, the demo. The demo. <laughs> so the, so the that's, demo. That's more than I've done. So you have a taste for what the game is like yeah. that comes out on Friday, which we haven't played yet. Yeah, I haven't played that much of it because, as I was telling you, I sort of dozed off while playing it. But that's okay. <laughs> it's not a knock against the game. I find the Dragon Quest Builders games very relaxing. Mm-hmm. And it's more Dragon Quest Builders, which I really loved. And so yeah. I'm, you know, for me, hey, that's that's... That's no problem at all. I can't fault that. I'm going to grab the demo yeah. as soon as we're done here. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to play more of the full version and, and hopefully have some feedback on that. But, um, yeah, I would just say definitely go grab the demo on Switch and at least play that because why not? It's free. Mm-hmm. And, and Dragon, Quest Builders, uh, Dragon, what? Dragon Quest Builders was an excellent game. And uh, the fact that we're even getting a sequel is super exciting. So, yeah, kick ass, man. Yeah. Let's do it. Very excited for Dragon Pre- Dragon Press Gilders. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, and then last game on here, it took both Michael and I by surprise. I don't know about you, Leif, but mm-hmm. uh, Soul Seraph. Have this you? game is totally inspired by Actraiser. It's, it's, I it's usually the list new Actraiser game. It is yeah. Actraiser, and yeah. I always list that as like one of my five favorite games of all time. So I have you played this? Actraiser. I have not. I will be playing I, it I this week. I haven't played it yet because, like I said, yes. it took us by surprise. But yeah, I just saw like I think the day it came out, it's like um, hey everyone, there's a new Actraiser game out there, mm-hmm. and but it's like Actraiser with by Sega. Yes, yeah. true. <laughs> because I think was it original Actraiser Square. It was Enix. Okay, Enix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's like ActRaiser with uh, tower defense segments in the strategy Yeah, like the sections. city building yeah. has like enemies mm. that will attack. And it, it like I, I don't actually know for sure. I watched a video of it and uh, it the... looks like you're setting up tower defense things. Yeah. Mm. ActRaiser is one of my favorite games uh, of the SNES. Mm-hmm. So 
for me, yeah, uh, it looks really good. I, I, I do want to try it. It's getting sort of middling reviews right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I think a lot of people are just saying it's the strategy sections feel a little simple. Yeah. Not a lot of going on. Right. I read the, the IGN review and they said like it perfectly captures the, the feel of ActRaiser. Uh-huh. Like the, your, your main character Helios has this great weight to him that it, it feels a lot like playing those games. Mm-hmm. But then the level design's kind of uneven, so like. Mm. Mm. Well, let's let's remind people about ActRaiser because yeah. maybe some of our audience so, never played. So ActRaiser, if if you haven't played it somehow, if you're some sort of philistine, uh, or just <laughs> younger, yeah, no, sure. <laughs> I you know I'm I'm just exaggerating, or, or but, a young philistine, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, good band name, but it it is a uh, kind of hybrid. Uh, God game and mm-hmm. uh, side-scrolling action game, where you are playing as this god who is uh, sort of fostering humanity and trying to bring, like, reclaim the land from monsters to give to humans, and so you help them build their society. Every little town that you visit and help build up has, like, some weird little challenge to it. Like, there's this one town where, oh, this... Uh, this guy wandered off into the desert and uh, can you go find him and you like you find him and it's like oh but he died but before he he died he invented music and now we're going to play this song that's going to play through the rest of this level <laughs> and and, and or, or like things happen like this kid got kidnapped can you intervene and then you go down and you have like an action sequence where you fight yeah. monsters that's that's what was unique about it is it was you know part half the game yeah. is top down sort of strategy management sim not mm-hmm. quite populous mm-hmm. level right. of like god sim but where you, know. you 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 control a little angel who directs who's your servant and he mm-hmm. directs construction like oh right. have them build yes. over here have them move toward this dangerous yeah. thing that I want to destroy and, and then the other half of the game is a side scrolling action yeah. game and and that weighty physics Michael talked about like yeah you're jumping on platforms and you have a sword and it's it's very much like uh, Zelda 2 combat yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to say though <laughs> Zelda 2 it was beautiful at the time it, it was, was so beautiful. beautiful and the idea is that there are statues of you this this god yeah. all over the landscape and you can possess them and that's what you're controlling yes. you're, you're a statue brought to life and then that that didn't really continue into Act Razor 2 which was I think a pure action game and they got rid of the god sequences which like right. that was the whole emotional the whole core point. of the game yeah. that's what i connected to i like the action sequences were fun but it kind of needed the other bits to support that little i'll, I'll be honest a little secret about act razor uh-huh. it's a bit like chicken and waffles <laughs> the action sequences were never mm-hmm. that great the strategy sequences were never that great but the but combo together, yes, together yes. made a very good game what are and you that's saying? what they you're missed s- out on too you're yeah. saying that chicken and waffles aren't great on their own Usually, from the places you get chicken and waffles, their wa- neither their waffles nor their chicken are spectacular. Mm. But, together, but together, they're ah, always see, very see, good. See, see, if see, I want see. just chicken, I'm going to go to like KFC. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> fair delicious. point. Fair point. Uh, so yeah, that that about does it for uh, new releases. So let's jump into. As has become a recent tradition on the show, we open up our new segment with the... Hollywood segment. Video game Hollywood segment. Oh, he was my favorite character in Mannequin. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, is, is that a recent tradition? You've been doing this stuff behind my back? <laughs> I feel like the last, like, three shows we've opened with some news about game adaptations. Uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, the first, this week, first news, there's an animated Cuphead series coming to Netflix. Hmm. That seems appropriate. Seems <laughs> it does. I mean, it took them, what, 10 years to, to put the game oh, together? Wow. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, speaking of which, yeah, accompanying that announcement was the announcement that the uh, the last DLC for Cuphead is delayed again. So, oh, yeah. Uh, There's going mean, to be some editorials about the artwork on that one. they got to work on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I just think it's super rad. Like, Cuphead is a very, very good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a very distinct, unique art style, um, and why not bring that art style to Netflix? You know, why not recapture the twenties and thirties animated classics? Yeah. And once again, enough eighties really... nostalgia. We need twenties nostalgia. <laughs> once again, I really wish we had that dumb Florida moron <laughs> to comment on the animation of Cuphead because I do know it is one of his favorites. Ah, uh, it's true. Ah, but one of my favorites, Uncharted. Uh, the director of Uncharted came out, uh, Dan Trachtenberg, who was uh, actually their second director because the first one had to drop out. Uh, Trachtenberg, who directed 10 Cloverfield Lane, by the way, he has gone on to say that uh, the Uncharted movie won't just, quote-unquote, trace the game. Um, mm. So he's saying it's not just going to recount the events of those games. Uh, there's very little we know about this movie other than that and the fact that it's supposed to star Tom Holland the, as a young Nathan Drake. Who knows if that will just be in flashbacks or if that will be he'll be the star of the entire movie. Um, just approach it with respect for the source material and also make a good movie. That's all I ask. Well, yeah, I can't figure so, out if this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing. That's the thing. So this is a movie that has had two directors already. Mm-hmm. It just recently underwent a rewrite. Are you counting David O. Russell with that, that abortive? Mark Wahlberg's going to be Nathan Drake. No, no, no. There was there was another director who um, is attached to a different project now. His name's it's not David O. Russell. The movie is supposed to come out December of 2020, so there's still time. But typically, when Hollywood says, we're not going to just recount the events of this thing and it's more inspired by the game series, that hasn't always resulted in the greatest mm-hmm. movies. Um, well, it basically means we're going to do our own thing that just has the name. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How's that working out for you, Sonic movie? Mm. <laughs> oh, God. So this thing sounds like I don't know potential hot mess territory. I, just, I, don't, know. I don't know. Speaking of hot messes, uh, <laughs> key reseller G two A has oh been God. in the news oh all week. Uh, this is the one I hinted at of a service, <laughs> much like the phone clubs in Japan, where all they are is a service that arranges mm-hmm. uh, the sale. So if you guys don't know what what these companies like G two A do, they are online marketplaces. Sort of like an eBay, where all they do, they're the middleman, and they arrange for someone to sell a game key, a digital game key, to someone else on their marketplace. And of course, as a business, I'm sure they take some sort of cut of that of that transaction. Mm-hmm. They have been in the news recently, though, um, because there was some dev criticism that uh, basically selling green market keys is something that indie developers, they don't see any of that money. Uh, and they began to question, well, how are marketplaces like G2A getting these keys? G2A kind of immediately went on the defensive, uh, and they had some social posts that basically said that, well, nature abhors a vacuum, so if we don't do this, someone else will do it, which is <laughs> stupid. not a valid argument. <laughs> it's like that Far Side cartoon, like, hey, if we don't take these hubcaps, it's a cinch some other bears are gonna. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So, so uh, yeah, game developers immediately responded and said, uh, specifically indie developers, and said, well, you know what? We'd just rather you not sell our titles at all on your platforms because we're not seeing any of this money. Like, we don't need the exposure from, from mm-hmm. this, so please don't sell our, our oh, titles. Oh, but being paid in exposure is like the internet's greatest <laughs> currency. <laughs> uh, so then someone from the company reached out to at least one site, but it, it, apparently it, it was several sites, God, uh, asking if that site would be open to posting what amounted to a positive sort of fluff piece yeah, about well, the what, what they said was, okay, for red flag number one, we have written an unbiased Biased. article yes, yes. about this practice, and we want you to publish it without attributing it to us or saying it's a paid advertisement or anything and, like that. And that's where they went, went wrong because that is super illegal. Like, sponsored content happens all the time uh, on websites. Mm-hmm. The thing is, though, there are strict laws in place that you have to mark that content as an ad or sponsored mm-hmm. or promoted. And if G2A wants to go out there and write an article and explain this is how this business works, this is why it's on the up and up and why it's not illegal, they have every right to try to buy that placement on a site to be honest, usually that's what you have your PR departments for, is kind of doing that outreach, arranging mm-hmm. interviews, etc. But fine. But what you certainly don't do is reach out and say, this is an unbiased article. It's coming from you as a company. There's no such thing as an unbiased article you're writing about yeah. your own company, mm-hmm. first of all. Yeah. But you certainly don't come and say, and we'd like you to to not say that it's us writing this or that it's an advertisement or anything like that. Yeah. It's, Hot it's, take. This is like the reverse you know, conspiracy theory. You know, because you know, the, the very word unbiased, I'm sorry, that shows what kind of people this is coming from. Mm. And you know, that's the way that they think, oh, so-and-so paid for this review and everything. Yeah. So they're thinking that's what everybody does. So we're going to do it. I guarantee you that's the logic behind their thinking. Well, I mean, giving them the benefit of the doubt, they could have, like, some write, writer could have tried very hard to produce an unbiased piece, but ultimately you can't say it's unbiased if it's coming from the company. Also, G2A almost immediately uh, said, no, this is this employee did this on their own. Yeah. We, we had nothing to bus. do with this. They threw yep. that employee yep. under the bus. It was terrible. <laughs> um, this actually just got me really curious about how gray market, quote-unquote gray market, sites like G2A work. Um, and so there's a couple good pieces out there. One of the indie devs that kind of these articles are about wrote a medium piece a while ago that, that sort of resurfaced with all of this. And then Polygon uh, did kind of an explanation. And they were trying to get to the bottom of well, how do people get these keys and how is it that they're reselling them? And basically what the Polygon article ultimately found is it just was kind of super shady sounding by all involved. Uh, sometimes it is things like people buy the keys in like humble bundles where you can get games, you know, you get a lot of games for at a reduced price or relatively cheaply. And then if you either already have that game or just don't want to play it, you might sell that game for cheaper than it normally costs on marketplaces, but more expensive than you paid for it, thereby turning a profit. Okay, that is a a relatively legitimate way I I suppose these could happen. Although, there was some scandal uh, not too long ago where a few publishers, I want to say it was, it might have been EA and Ubisoft actually, um, a lot of these keys ended up on the marketplace and it turns out they had most likely been acquired by uh, stolen credit cards purchasing yeah. mm-hmm. purchasing the keys mm-hmm. and then they ended up selling on these gray markets where it's one of those things where once the keys out there it's very difficult for a publisher to track down and deactivate certain sets of keys right. and so G2A came out and said well we have a policy if we if we determine there's any illegal activity involved with obtaining the keys of course we will shut down that particular listing 
but, but that's only enforced as far as they know things. And yeah. so it, it it is known as the gray market because of it is there is some question about le- the legitimacy of these keys. Just say, here, here's a good litmus test. If a game comes out and everywhere else you look, it's full price $60 game. And somehow there's this one site who can magically offer it for a, a, like $40 or something like that. Maybe you should ask yourself how they're able to do that. You know, there there are some there are some exploits to the system. Like certain countries, uh, due to, to uh, currency fluctuations, etc., they might actually be priced a little bit cheaper. And so, you know, you can kind of guess acquire a key by buying from a certain country, and the key theoretically works globally. And so, you're reselling keys from like Russia or whatever it is. But this whole thing, though, just sounds questionable. And more of the story became like. G2A's handling of it wasn't the best way to handle it. But yes, if you were wondering what all the hullabaloo of G2A uh, was about this week, now you know. Um, I have no way to transition with this, so I might as well do it. Um, In other news, uh, Nintendo is telling people they are not falling behind when it comes to things like online and VR. So uh, Nintendo's own Miyamoto. Uh, during a question and answer session as part of Nintendo's annual general meeting of shareholders, he was asked about the impression that Nintendo's been a little slow to join uh, global trends like cloud computing, mobile, VR. Uh, so here is Miyamoto's response. We have not fallen behind with either VR or network services, Miyamoto said. Um, we worked on them from the very beginning and have been experimenting with them in a variety of ways. In that time, We have objectively evaluated whether they actually allow our consumers to have an enjoyable play experience and whether we can operate them at an appropriate cost. Because we don't publicize this until we release a product, it just may look like we're falling behind. In terms of cloud gaming, Miyamoto said, you know, I think cloud gaming will become more widespread in the future, but I have no doubt that there will continue to be games that are fun because they are running locally and not on the cloud. So... You know, a lot of his answers there are sort of Mm -hmm. Um, non-answers. VR has no. I can't see Nintendo doing VR. That's well. That's well. They they did it. They they have the the Labo VR. Yeah, but it's not what I. Well, it's the most Nintendo way possible to do VR. But is it? Can you say someone's falling behind, quote unquote, on VR, which is sort of still a very niche industry that is not, you know. Mm. We thought it was sort of where the industry might be headed, but it really maybe hasn't it taken still off is. Yeah. It just has to take a lot of work. I yeah. mean, you got to get rid of those helmets. you got to get yeah. glasses yeah. or something. In in regards to the online thing, I would, I would argue like, well, I don't know if you could call it falling behind, but I think I've explained on this show before. Nintendo, they, are, they have a very specific way of doing online yeah. because it's not for you like the older Mm -hmm. gamer nintendo does online for kids and everything they do is about protecting kids from online predators which as a parent i completely understand and appreciate but it does mean a lot of hoops to jump through and things are just a pain in the ass but they're doing it to protect their audience and that's just what nintendo's got to do to maintain like their brand and their reputation with parents like yeah as a parent i'll tell you like if i know it's a game on a nintendo platform I'm immediately I go, oh, this is safer for my kids because mm-hmm. I just know the way Nintendo right. handles that stuff. And That's so totally right. it's, in some ways, yes, that will mean they're quote unquote falling behind like Sony and Microsoft because they are less open platforms that have to have more of those controls. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it's not like 
it's not like they're not aware of these things. It's just this is the choice and kind of how they've chosen to position themselves in the marketplace. Yeah. I think the problem is with people like us, you know, older people and gamers and stuff, they just don't, don't necessarily think of that. And so they do view them as, hey, you're falling behind in these regards. It's, like, it's not falling behind. It's like, like, let everybody else make the mistakes and then they'll come back and, you know, do their thing. Especially what Nintendo does. And they do it well. There have been some downsides, like the Wii U. But Sure, yeah, that's true. I, I think overall, though, Nintendo, it's been no surprise. They've, they've had this strategy of we want games mm-hmm. that typically Nintendo makes to be played on Nintendo yeah. platforms. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't add, like, look, we tried VR before anyone else, and look what happened. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's, that's really the thing is Nintendo is a very conservative company. Yeah. Uh, many Japanese companies are traditionally very conservative companies. And so when you when you approach you know kind of Nintendo's market moves with that knowledge in mind it's very easy to see why they do a lot of the things they do is they don't they don't like to take huge risks and go right. out there although it's weird every once in a while they will take weird huge risks like i would say the Wii was a weird huge risk and it mm-hmm. paid off for them so yeah. when they do take risks they take they go big and they make big bets but yeah you know even mm-hmm. the switch the switch is sort of revolutionary and they make controllers that are specifically made for exactly one game this is true <laughs> this is true well see this is why i said surrendering when i said <laughs> we were talking about uh you know dr mario is because you know they were trying to create a new a more wholesome experience with mobile games with these other mm. games and it's like it doesn't work it's not bringing us the money so let's just do what everyone else is doing yeah so. well yeah, the, the mobile thing absolutely came up and it was like nintendo took forever to jump in and we may not have liked all of their mobile experiments so far. Like, I think, I, I personally think the Animal Crossing thing is okay, but I know a lot of people really didn't like that game. Uh, you know, I liked Mario, but I will say this I'm pretty sure everything they've released on mobile has been very successful financially. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, well, yeah, I was surprised just because, like, Mario Run brought in a lot of money, and they were yeah. like, but it didn't make it what we were expecting. Well, it was a one time thing, and that's yeah. a, so that you know, the mobile industry typically it's free to play games, they're based on repeat purchases yeah. and uh, like mm-hmm. huge amounts of money month over month. Whereas Mario did what a Nintendo game does, it made a whole lot of money in those first few months and then kind of went down from there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I will say, like, everything they've been doing on mobile, they're making fine money, but yeah. they are being more conservative. Uh, and to prove Nintendo isn't falling behind, they have implemented a rewind feature in their game so that they can go back in time. They can literally fall behind. So as part of Nintendo's online service, uh, they announced that they will implement a rewind feature in these classic games so that if you screw up, all you have to do is hold both shoulder buttons and you will be able to rewind, which is something I think a lot of the... um, the remake games that come out on systems have and I mm-hmm. love it yeah. because those old games are notoriously difficult and mm-hmm. it sucks when you have to read and new level it's and just complicated enough that like if you don't want to do it you don't have to you don't have to at all yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the 90s attitude not the 80s <laughs> <laughs> to accompany that announcement they also announced two new games coming to their online service uh, Donkey Kong 3 also right. known as the That's game where right. you shoot you know things up of Donkey Kong's ass yeah uh, Stanley the Bugman yeah, spraying yeah. up Donkey Kong's asshole and Wrecking Crew <laughs> Wrecking Crew is wow, coming. Yeah. Wow. Wrecking Crew is great, dude. I'm is it? That's all right. <laughs> I mean, maybe they don't need to care about falling behind because they do have their own, like we said, their own little niche corner of the market. And especially of the handheld dedicated gaming market because the last big piece of news this week, mm-hmm. uh, the Switch Lite is yes. real. Not to be confused with the light switch. Well, as my fr- yeah, as one of my friends on Facebook pointed out, like, how do you miss light switch? Light switch. <laughs> um, so the yeah, switch light. The switch light. Um, I feel like 
a lot. Most of the tweets I saw about it today were game journals reacting to people who were reacting angrily to the Switch, which I didn't see any of. Yeah. Um, That's usually the way Twitter works, isn't it? Yeah, but so the Switch Lite is a smaller Switch. It uh, does away with the uh, detachable Uh, Mm Joy-Cons. It has better battery life, but it also doesn't have a dock, and it can't hook up to a TV. It is purely a handheld unit. It is designed for handheld use. Uh, Smaller screen. And, uh, yeah, people... I think maybe reacted angrily, and if I were to guess, I would say it's because they maybe are misconstruing this as this is the direction the Switch is going in. This is the new Switch that replaces the old Switch. No! We're getting rid of all the things that you like. And I I don't think that's true at all. I think Nintendo poured way too much marketing dollars and effort into the uh, detachable Joy-Cons. Like, you can use them as, uh, you know motion controllers or as uh, you can share them with your friends and everybody just uses them as one controller like that that's too much of a thing they're also awful to control that way like yeah. yeah I mean it's a little better if you if you put like the little slidey things on them yes. but it's not even that for me it's just the where the it's not even a d-pad it's the button directional pad mm-hmm. a lot of people one. hate that cat bailey was saying today you're like what, what's your your spiciest gaming take and it's like the d-pad on the switch is okay and i like that dang it's, it. eh, it's not great it's not great but not yeah great. so so you're right though michael it there were there's features that they're losing from this that like only one game took advantage of so like that infrared sensor mm-hmm. on the bottom yeah. of the controller gone because yeah, I think other than one two switch you, there's you not sure a game that's it's gone there they're not, they're not uh, leaving it in there so you can pretend to eat hot dogs <laughs> <laughs> sorry no, well that would look really awkward because you'd have to hold up the whole system uh-huh, in your face yeah, with the yeah, attached yeah. controllers mm-hmm. um, yeah the HD rumble is out. Mm, that's true, yeah. Uh, they do replace the directional button D-pad with a real D-pad this time. Yeah. That's... Which is something I actually... So I was telling you guys off off air, off mic, my um, my analog stick on my left Joy-Con has a dead spot. So I actually oh. had to order like an aftermarket, like a Hori, one, yeah, one of those... I, like... I got one of those too, like the, the Zelda branded one. And yeah, the, just yeah. because it's like, oh, a real D-pad, that could be cool. And right. then I tried it and it's like, this D-pad is actually a little too stiff. It's mm-hmm. that, but like... I, I didn't order it because of the D-pad thing. I ordered it just because I wanted a cheaper replacement for the analog mm-hmm. stick. But also, like, the problem with that thing is it only works attached to the Switch. Like, you can't oh. use it as, as a remote controller. Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, which, again, I, I rarely ever do. Like, if I'm, if my Switch is connected to my TV, I'm usually using my Pro Controller. Because yeah, that's same. just such a better experience with a really good yeah. D-pad and all that. So, yeah, I just needed something for when it's on the Switch unit. Because, like, literally, I try to press down and just my characters won't move in certain mm-hmm. games. Like, it has that dead spot. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. But, so, it, there are some trade-offs with this thing. We talked about, yeah, no HD rumble, no infrared thing. Who cares? <laughs> the screen is, is ever so slightly smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, the unit itself is technically smaller but it's not that much smaller it's uh i want to say in terms of weight it's like maybe two or three tenths of a pound lighter than Mm -hmm. than the regular switch uh the battery life you mentioned so i will argue they say that's a better battery life but a half hour extra battery is not not it's not extra extra battery battery life life. like i was really that's one thing i am disappointed with i was hoping for maybe an extra two or three hours of extra battery life Yeah, it would have been nice. And I, I think I, I did see a lot of uh, journalists today just saying like, "I only ever use my Switch undocked." Which let me let me counter that by saying, 
I always keep mine docked unless I'm traveling. Yeah, and then it's yeah, nice yeah. to have that portability. I mine. I will say I almost always use mine undocked. I very rarely do play it on the TV, hmm. um, which is fine. Like it's it's a great system for that. Here's the thing. Like, but to your point though, Michael. If you already have a switch, this isn't for you. Yeah, yeah, that's the get this, get that through your hands. This isn't for you. Like you don't need to spend another two hundred dollars to have a different version that's I, slightly what, more portable. I know a lot of you will. On the internet, what the heck? I know a lot of you will, but you don't need to, and that's yeah. that's the key. This Michael. is this is meant to provide a lower barrier to entry. Yes, so that they can sell more games. It's a hundred bucks cheaper. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's two hundred dollars instead of three hundred dollars, and that's key. That is huge. Um, in terms of the games themselves, there's a little confusion. I, I got to find if there's a website to track this. So they they say this will only play the games that support handheld mode, but I'm having trouble thinking of a game that doesn't support handheld mode. Mm, that'd be weird. I mean, yeah. well, yeah, I haven't played any that outright don't support it. I have played some that could stand to be optimized for it. Like mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't played Mortal Kombat 11 since launch, but yeah. that was... Kind of difficult to play handheld just because, like, everything is so small. Yeah. <laughs> and you right. don't really yeah, think yeah, about yeah. that until you see that and, like, oh, yeah, this is really meant for play on a TV, isn't it? But during the Direct, they even said, like, the way you check, there's a little icon on the back of the box or I'm sure in the mm. digital storefront that shows you. may have been optimized. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, to me, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where if you don't have a Switch or if you, if you have a family with young kids and you want to get a second Switch for the household... This is just like the 2DS. Like, I, yeah. I basically equate this thing with the 2DS. Like, the 2DS wasn't here to replace the 3DS or the new 3DS or whatever. The 2DS was meant to be a lower-cost, more durable option for families mm-hmm. and people who wanted to pay less money. That's that's all this is. That's great. Yep. They, they want to open uh, their platform to more people who can afford it. That's fucking outstanding. Yeah. Keep doing that. Not everyone has $300 to spend on a console, Absolutely. Rich. Absolutely, yeah. And see, the way I did, you know, coming from the Apple-verse, I was like, it's mm-hmm. like a new iPhone. When the, you know, the iPhone ten came out, you know, you had a smaller version, you know, the, with the old Touch ID and everything. Mm. It wasn't like a replacement or anything. Well, I, was I was thinking like, of, yeah. like, the five Cs, remember that? Yes, the, the five Cs yes. is the perfect the example. plastic Cs. case ones that right. come in different colors. That is the perfect example, yeah. yes. Yeah. I, think, I think part of the people's disappointment comes from the fact that the rumors that we even mentioned them on the show, the rumor was that Nintendo was supposed to be working on two new versions of the Switch. Mm. There was going to be this, yeah. and then the Pro version, which was a more powerful Maybe version. Maybe that'll be revealed later. Who knows? Exactly. So this is coming, by the way, in September. September mm-hmm. 20th, I want to say. So it's coming really soon. I do have one other, not a complaint, but an observation. Mm. Uh, I was talking about the colors. So I think the yellow looks fine. Yeah, the yellow But the good. gray and the teal... To me, look more like un- they look more like prototypes than like a finished unit. Maybe it's the white buttons instead of the mm. black buttons on it, but like they just it, it it's maybe it's because they're like lighter and sort of bleached out colors. But it's just like it looks like all those leaked prototypes we saw mm. like on like Chinese accessory company sites when this thing was rumored to be coming. I, I feel like the teal could be closer to Bondi blue, like the mm. the classic uh, Apple G three iMac color. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they so they no longer do we have like the neon blue and red like mm-hmm. the controllers there. It's it's more of these lighter pastelly colors. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Like it's it just for me. It just I just they struck me as as very unique looking. Like oh, these look more like prototypes. Than yeah, I don't like the white. I think they should have been like black or something. Yeah, the the, the white controls is definitely a. Th- it's an option. You can it's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I, dude, it's Nintendo, so you know they'll they'll release like black button versions later mm-hmm. on down the line. Just release and... a black model that uh, plays Scandinavian black metal when you start it up. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we get some like you know, I was about to call it the Wii Shop music, but as long as we get some Switch Shop music, uh-huh. but we've been missing this entire generation yes. with Nintendo right. Shop music. Jesus, totally true. Well, I, I would settle for. Um, not having to put in my password after every consecutive purchase. Oh God, maybe yes. maybe add a shopping cart. That would be great. That would be outstanding. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Nintendo Light Switch coming. Uh, mm-hmm. You know we're just going to call it that. Right? Like, <laughs> Very excited for the Light Switch. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the community segment, which is always is segmenting our community. Uh, last week's question of the week was... Name your favorite video game revolutionary. Uh, Leif, you weren't here last week, but do you, uh, do you have a revolutionary that you like? That's a tough one. Uh, shoot. A revol- you know, there's like people who lead to... Since I have just been playing... I don't know if it's a favorite, but I'm going to mention Lise from uh, Final Fantasy XIV. All right. Mm. And uh, she is... Uh, she, she's been a... Uh, she, was, she was actually going under a, a different identity during the beginning of the series, but after, she later reveals that she's been masquerading as her sister and mm-hmm. stuff. And she is the, the... She becomes the leader of the Alamegan resistance and everything. So she, she kind of starts out as kind of like ditzy and stuff, but apparently she was... Because that was her dead sister's personality. When you think about it, that's kind of mean. Uh, but uh, you know, she turns out to be you know very intelligent, very determined, and stuff like that. And it's one of the big turnaround series. The other person would be Alphano, who you know they, you know they were kind of stuck up or silly in the first thing, but they become really complex characters uh, throughout. And she's one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she's one of my favorites. I think. Since you said Final Fantasy fourteen, I remember like, oh yeah, we talked about possibly talking about that during new releases. But yes. you played Shadowbringers. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Like, tell us about Shadowbringers because none of us play fourteen. Uh, Shadowbringers. Uh, not only is it the best Final Fantasy fourteen expansion, I yeah. I am an MMO guy. If you guys don't know me, I you know for years I was the freelancer people called on to review MMOs for major publications. I'm not going to back down from that, and so I know my stuff. And I'm going to say that this is probably the best MMO expansion as far as story goes that oh, I've yeah. ever seen and it is it is the expansion that proves that Final Fantasy 14 deserves to be discussed in the context of the best Final Fantasies like I was saying like the first story and everything you know you have to appre- know the rest of that to appreciate the Shadowbringer's story but uh, this was really rich it was very good characterizations you had sympathy for the villain very they all seemed very human very motivating when you defeat the final boss there's a 45 minute cut uh, you know, yeah, well, yeah, one of the news stories I read around release, it was shocking to me. It was like the uh, Shadowbringers opening cut cinematic is maybe one of the best cinematics in Final Fantasy history. Oh, it's amazing. Right? Yeah. So that's incredible. To yes. Me. All right. And, it, it, and when you go back and you watch that cinematic after you've played the game, you see, I mean, after you've beaten it, you see that all the pieces were set. And I, I love it, you know, because there's... You actually are worried, and it's an MMO, so you know this can't really happen. There is a moment when you are actually afraid that your character is going to die. Like, I mean, they actually make you feel this. Like, it's going to be in. And towards the end, there I don't think there's much of a spoiler, but there's a big turnaround moment. And the music cue, the the cinematic and everything, it is so badass. It's the kind of thing where you just want to stand up and clap. And the fact that they got that in an MMO is just pretty darn amazing. Wow. Yes. That's that's kind of you. Yeah. You're selling me. You really are. I, I kind of want to start playing now. <laughs> 
Uh, well, the first answer to the question of the week from uh, VidgetGamePocalypse.com comes from Landstrider Hear You. That's a great name. Uh, who says, Rise of Nations, Rise of Legends features a commander named Giacomo Giamba, who has to unite the city-states of the land of Vinci against the Doja of Venucci, who has created a giant city-level in canon, the Doja Hammer. His Picaris Damn it, Lane. Damn it, Lane. It's very good. Well done. Well done. So nail. Uh, <laughs> his picaresque tale and the cool steampunk meets Leonardo da Vinci's sketchbook aesthetic make him my favorite hero unit from any RTS game. Yeah. Damn. It's mm. good answer. Uh, from responses on Twitter, at JD Buffington says, Can I say Grown Up Link is my favorite revolutionary? He's fighting established kingdoms of Ganon in multiple games. That is not a pick I would have thought of, but now that you mention it, yeah, that's a really good answer. Mm-hmm. Sure. There we go. And from the official Laser Time Facebook community, we have Re- uh, Rebecca Swift, and she says, I have to go with Daisy Fitzroy, leader of the Vox Populi from uh, Bioshock Infinite, which is the best one. While depending on how you look at it, she may not technically count as a hero. She's still awesome as an interesting and strong main character who happens to be a woman of color. I love her. P.S. No, I will never stop trying to trick y'all into saying Infinite is the best one. Whether or not I actually believe it is uh, not up for discu- discussion. You know what? I agree with you. I actually kind of prefer Infinite. Uh, mm. Maybe Bioshock. Well, I, I, I appreciated that you said that parenthetical statement that was written in there as <laughs> if it were your own. True. You're well, owning that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I will say this about Daisy Fitzroy. Make sure you play Buried at Sea. It has some interesting things to say about her, which may uh, increase or diminish your opinion of her, depending on how you see that overall. I'll say this about Bioshock Infinite. The best DLC of any Bioshock. How's that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I never really played Minerva's Den, though. So Very good. Very good as well. Uh, well, Mike Eaton says, Hmm, let's go with Gordon Freeman in Half-Life 2. When his train pulls into City 17 one morning, you are thrown into a truly desperate world for humanity. Almost immediately, you start fighting back and somehow survive, only to fight on bigger and bigger stages. By the time you get to White Forest in Episode 2, you've achieved folk hero status, like your Che Guevara. I will say, for me, like that entire revolution, it could be encapsulated in that first moment where you pick up the garbage and throw it at the the guard yep. who tells you to pick it up and then he comes and shocks you and that you is do it again iconic scene yeah, yeah. <laughs> we 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 considered adding half life to our list uh, yeah. yeah absolutely except you're you're mostly alone in that that's the thing is yeah. you're you're a revolution of one for mm. the most part <laughs> or or two or three depending on if you have uh Alex. Alex or the, the robot dog. Uh, yeah, I forgot the dog's name. It's called like dog or something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah, dog. I think it's just called dog. <laughs> yeah. And then Eli Vance and all the scientists yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. But, but you're, yeah. you're the one fighting for sure. Most part. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, not, not many responses to that one. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Um, but new question of the week. Uh, what is your favorite memory or best or worst memory from an arcade? Mm-hmm. Um, in keeping with the '80s theme, we we could ask like, what's your favorite or, or what, what's your most '80s video game moment? But yeah. um, that does kind of cut off a certain segment of the yeah, audience. A certain segment of the audience. So, um, but arcades are something that even even though they're they've been dead for years, like they still exist in some form or another. Yeah, you can and still I'm betting find them too occasionally. I'm, yeah, I'm betting that a lot of listeners have some sort of anecdote from this. So, totally. um, 
what what is your your strongest memory of an arcade um i feel like i've talked about mine on several occasions there's of course the guy playing pow who i came up and uh pushed the two-player button he's like what the fuck i'm not playing doubles (laughs) and then he like just spent the whole time muttering under his breath while he like i guess what he had done was he had like pumped a ton of tokens into the machine Mm -hmm. and thought that he could monopolize it and then and i a kid just wandered up and hit the two-player button and started playing and every time i died i just oh still got credits continue continue like i didn't even think about it i just thought like i guess it's on free play (laughs) and so he like we finished it together, but he's like, what the fuck? I, I finished it with only seven credits left? What the fuck? Like, <laughs> I don't know what your deal is, dude. Did I did I just wander next to a crazy person who's at this Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> I thought this was going to be the story you told a while back about um, being pulled from the arcade yes. machine. So, yes. So when I was in junior high, uh, the administration put uh, arcade machines into the cafeteria, which was a Fatal mistake. Yeah, don't do that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I had, I got punched in the face for the first time over one of those wow. um, because this this kid wanted uh, me to leave so he could play it. So he just started whispering all this shit about my mom, and I like turned around and like kind of mocked mock strangled him because we were sort of friends. But then I found out like, oh no, he's he's not playing around, and he punched me twice in the face and wow. gave me a fat lip. And uh, and yeah, there was another time where. Uh, some popular kid was playing Ninja Turtles and there was a huge crowd and he's like, don't let, I'm going to get more quarters. Don't let anybody take my place. And of course I did. (laughs) And then his friends tried to like bodily pull me away from the the machine. And at one point lifted me up by the legs and were like pulling me away. But I like just just held on. I just love the image of Michael, like horizontal, completely horizontal hands on the controller. Fuck you. I'm Raphael. (laughs) (laughs) I guess am I the only Michelangelo guy in the I'm a Donatello guy. <laughs> um, so I'll start with the good memories and then I'll end up with a bad one. Just to, just to mirror what Michael did there. So um, I don't know if these are specific memories, but so, you know, that, that quote you're talking about from uh, 1980X, uh, which is what the, these were the coolest nerds I'd ever seen or something like <laughs> those coolest, lines. Uncool the coolest, uncool people. The coolest, uncool people. So, yeah, I, I had a couple of really cool arcades, uh, which at the time... For a kid who grew up watching things like war games where you're like, arcades were more of the territory of like teenagers. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't as wholesome as they would become. And it was like where you where teenagers would go to, to smoke yeah, and yeah. maybe even drink a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. And so arcades were like places where my mom typically didn't like me yeah. hanging out. But uh, hi, I host a video game podcast. I fucking love video <laughs> games. So I'm going to go. So the one at my local mall uh, was called the Goldmine Arcade. And it was a beautiful, magical place with, with a facade that looked like an old mine, like a stone mine. And it was so perfect because what is an arcade? It's dark, right? It's mm-hmm. dark inside other than the machine. So it was like this old mine facade with like dark inside. And then you would go in and it was literally like the treasures in a mine were these arcade machines to me. So I have so many good memories of just look you know looking at that thing from across the way at the orange julius and being like i'm gonna get in there i'm gonna get in there when mom's not looking or whatever and so i'd go and i remember like that's the first time i saw machines like punch out like in mm-hmm. arcades mm-hmm. oh my god this is amazing these graphics so and of course i'm a young kid and they're with a bunch of rowdy cool teenagers the other place i grew up i grew up near a place uh in riverside called the castle park and it was basically one of those kind of amusement park uh mini golf places that its arcade though had a facade of this giant castle and it just was one of those places imagine like the biggest arcade you've ever been into with several levels 
and in certain types of machines were always grouped together. And so it was just like, to this day, I can't think of a better or bigger arcade I've been in with more machines. And to me, it was just like paradise. Like, oh my God, I'm at Castle. I'm going to the Castle and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So those are my good arcade memories. I grew, I grew up near some really cool arcades, uh, you know, hanging with the teenagers, being cool, being a badass. Uh, my bad memories, and sometimes those teenagers weren't always super nice. It was right during sort of the height of the skateboarding craze where everyone had to have like their like Tony Hawk skate mm-hmm. decks and mm-hmm. stuff in the 80s. And I would go to the local Straw Hat Pizza near my house, which had a little mini arcade, like a row of like six to eight machines in there. And I believe it was Ninja Turtles, either that or Street Fighter we were playing. We would all take our skateboards and just put them against the wall sort of behind the arcade machines while we were playing. And I remember going and playing a machine and then coming back and looking for my board and it was completely gone because some of the fucking one of the teenagers at another machine had wanted my board just ripped it off the wall and ran out of there while I wasn't looking. And so I got my first skate uh, skateboard ripped off while Aww. hanging in an arcade. It is what it is. You know? Oh, that sucks. And that kid, I fucking killed him. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Crept into his house later and stabbed him in the yeah. neck. Yeah, <laughs> with my skateboard. <laughs> That's my bad memory. Yeah. Leif? So as far as a favorite memory goes with the arcades, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I know I spent a lot of time on arcades, but I'm coming out of time, having a hard time coming to a specific memory. So here's the thing. In 1989, when the Game Boy came out, uh, they used to have these displays at Walmart. And, you know, you wouldn't believe it, but those were really popular. And a bunch of kids my age, we would all gather around and watch each other play fucking Tetris. And uh, wow. it was like, yeah, I mean, that, that show, you know, you, you think, you know, handheld gaming mobile gaming has become so common now mm. but that same the game boy seems so magical that we would just go sit on that black and white sc- white screen and because a lot of us couldn't afford it yeah our parents would you know and, and actually try to beat each other's scores so you know and that would be what we would do while our parents were walking around walmart and stuff like that we would go over to the electronic section and use that display and so that was kind of like a mini arcade was it so. the kind i'm remembering like they were special displays where they would wire the Game Boy to project onto like a full-size television yes. so people could watch other people. Mm, yes. And if, until, what was it called, the Super Game Boy or whatever, the thing that like plugged into yeah, the Game Boy. Yeah, the Super Boy. Game Boy. Yeah, until before that came along, that was the only way you could see some of those handheld games on like a big screen mm. because they want people gathering around and watching. So you're watching this like shitty black and white thing on this like TV <laughs> yeah, screen, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's like, it's magical and wondrous. It's basically like a dot matrix printer come to life on, oh. on that screen. Mm. Yeah. And I remember loving that. And the other one is... One thing, another thing that has lost its appeal, but they used to have like these these table-looking Pac-Man machines, mm-hmm. and so yeah, at, at most gas stations and stuff like that, you know, it was like a table you could sit at, but it was actually Pac-Man. The the uh, the table, you know, the, I believe the they're table. called cocktail machines. Okay, okay. cocktail yeah, machines. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so I always loved that. You know, whenever I would start playing one of those, it didn't no matter who it was, people would come watch me play. It could be old, they could be my age, and stuff like that. And it was in the '80s that was still such a novelty that. People People would actually think it was like, "Ooh, let's see what this kid can do." And you mm-hmm. you see that a lot in '80s movies. And I'm going to say, to an extent, it was that the way. It's like, "Let's see how that kid can do." And yeah, yeah and it, there was an actual theater aspect to it. And I remember I sometimes go to the Alamo Draft House here, and they have a bunch of pinball machines mm-hmm. there. And I that is the first time I've gotten experience because people will sometimes because I'm pretty good at pinball. People will sometimes actually come watch me play pinball, and that's I, I get that that feeling that I did that I love where people would actually come watch you play wow he's a pinball wizard yeah, 80s uh, 70s um, I, I do kind of feel like looking back like I, I just said negative memories I do have positive arcade memories sure. and sure. I'll prove it 
Because uh, when I went uh, to, to high school in my freshman year, they had uh, off-campus lunch. Oh, yeah. So, so you could leave well. the school. And uh, there was a bowling alley like a couple blocks away from the school. So uh, every day, this friend of mine and I would walk over to it. And on the way, uh, and I'm, here's where I admit to a crime, uh, there was... <laughs> A cop car that would park like the, the stadium was between us and, and the and the bowling alley, and there was a cop car that would park near the entrance to the stadium, and it would just like the cops wouldn't be there; they'd just leave it there. And every day I would hawk a loogie on it uh, <laughs> because I wanted to convince my friend I was cool. Mm. And <laughs> oh god, I have so sad story. We'd go that. over, and the, the bowling alley, whoever stocked that place, had amazing taste. There was Street Fighter, there was the Simpsons arcade game. And there was a Neo Geo that had World Heroes. And World Heroes, if you played it at the time when Capcom was just iterating on Street Fighter 2, and it's like, here's Champion Edition, here's Turbo Edition. And meanwhile, Neo Geo's like, here's World Heroes, which feels like a sequel to Street Fighter 2 while also feeling like the same game. But hey, like, look, we've got, we don't have Guile. We have like some sort of robot Nazi Guile who controls exactly like him but shoots missiles. Right. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that that was a lot. And then that cop came back to his car and was like, "Who who spit is this? Is this one of those rowdy teenagers <laughs> yeah. with their denim jackets and, and their just, wool yeah, collars?" He, he shook his fist in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and damn you, rowdy teens! <laughs> you in the denim jacket, get over here right now. Is your collar made of wool? All right, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Uh, so what was your strongest or favorite arcade memory? Uh, I know you got one. Even if it's just like, I went to a Dave & Buster's when I was six, yo. Um, I, I don't care. <laughs> uh, let us know. Go to vidgamepocalypse.com and answer into the comments for episode 324. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at VGApocalypse or visit the official LaserTime community on Facebook. There'll be a thread there where you can answer. Anyway, that's our show. Let's go out with some plugs. Leif, uh, where can people see your stuff? Uh, yeah, once again, I work for Macworld, but I also sometimes write gang reviews, mainly MMOs, for PC World. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter. That's uh, at Leif Johnson. That's L-E-I-F Johnson. And uh, that's it, basically. Uh, and Matt? Yes, uh, patreon.com slash laser time. That is what keeps this network a running, uh, keeps Chris's internet live and and on and oh wait uh you guys must have missed your patreon payments no but uh but seriously patreon.com slash laser time uh go if you would like to support the show um that's what uh, enables us to keep doing this uh and i have actually been on two recent bonus times which are the exclusive patreon shows that you get at the five dollar or more level uh, so recently, I was on talking some AEW wrestling uh, with friend of the show and frequent guest TL Foster. And then this week, uh, it is Chris's on Infinite Earths uh, as I am. I join uh, so Chris Antista, Chris Baker, and Chris Clow, and then of course I'm Matthew Christopher Allen. Uh, we talk all about Spider-Man: Far From Home. We give the spoiler cast, we give our impressions. So kind of a laser time tradition to to give impressions of the latest Marvel movie. So. We're here, we're doing that, and that's only on bonus time, and you can only get that at the $5 or more level on patreon.com slash laser time. And then, if you want to go, subscribe to me for free on Twitter at Matty C. Allen. That's M-A-T-T-Y-C-A-L-L-E-N. 
And uh, I'm on a recent episode of Laser Time as well. Not sure if I can say what the topic is, but uh, we we pour one out for Mad Magazine with lots of fond memories for the magazine that uh, basically had a huge influence on our childhood development and is probably the only reason you're hearing this podcast now. But also, you can obviously visit us at VigiGameApocalypse.com and uh, follow the show on Twitter at VGApocalypse or me personally at Wikiparas. That's been our show, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week! Chris has lost interwebs. Uh, That's the 80s. <laughs> That's yeah. the 80s. <laughs> oh shit, Chris is trapped in the 80s. <laughs>